Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. Do or do not. There is no truth. You think that's air you're breathing in? Are you ready? Are you waking up? Because you're listening to the Urban Yogi Podcast with Will Blunderfield. What is up, fam? This is Will Blunderfield. I'm the host of this show, the Urban Yogi Podcast. We are on episode 83. And I'm also the creator of the Wild Masculine Semen Retention Training over at willblunderfield.ca. Today we have a very special episode on something that's a very hot button issue. Um... And this show tends to focus on issues that are close to my heart. Um, and they those issues tend to be uh, polarizing things. But that's the whole reason why I started this podcast was because I felt like certain uh, societal um, problems were not being talked about. For example, like the HIV hoax. Uh, and then today's episode, circumcision, a.k.a. male genital mutilation. So many of the population still believes that uh, female genital mutilation is bad and that male genital mutilation is good. And what I really want to hit home with this episode is that uh, a lot of people, especially medical doctors, who most of which are circumcised, uh, don't understand the functions of the foreskin. They don't realize that the foreskin has actually evolved over millions and millions and millions of years for very specific uh, life-giving evolutionary functions. And to just cut it off is wrong. And also to do it, especially on an unconsenting human, is gravely wrong. Uh, it's a violation of human rights, uh, as, we, as you will start to... Uh, if, you, if you don't understand that already, you will definitely understand that by the end of today's episode. It's a violation of human rights. It's a violation of the right to bodily uh, autonomy, which pretty much every country in the world has agreed is a human right. So... I'm not against body mods. If, if an adult, a consenting adult, wants to uh, modify their body, go ahead. But they have to consent to the procedure. You cannot do a body mod on an unconsenting human, especially an infant, uh, especially when over 200 infants die every year from circumcision, uh, botched circumcisions. I've been teaching naked men's yoga for over 12 years. And you would not believe how many botched cir- I mean, I think every circumcision is botched, but like really, like most people would look at the penises I've seen and go, whoa, about 40% of all circumcisions are really botched, like where they've cut off the whole penis or they've cut off the head of the penis. Uh, I've seen like really, really intense skin bridges uh, on guys' penises. And so anyway, regardless of whether the circumcision is textbook or not textbook in terms of the way it was done, it's a violation of human rights. And Anthony Blood is a, uh, he's a typical American dude who woke up to the realization that he had been uh, genitally mutilated um, not, too, not too long ago, about nine months ago, I believe, nine or 10 months ago. He's just an ordinary American guy who advocates for genital integrity and autonomy for all and encourages and teaches circumcised men who want to non-surgically restore what they can from their physical trauma. And we get into the nitty gritty. This is a pretty long episode. It's almost three hours. So feel free to break it into chunks if you want to digest the whole thing. Uh, If you do get triggered, I can really recommend the group uh, Bloodstained Men 
on Facebook. They're a great support network of men who uh, you know, are supporting each other through the, the realization that they've been mutilated and then, then helping to restore their foreskin. Also, Anthony gets into Forgen, F-O-R-E-G-E-N, Forgen, a stem cell research company that's actually uh, regrowing human foreskins. And that technology will not be perfected for another 10 to 15 years, but it's definitely on the horizon. And that's definitely very encouraging. Again, I'm not against body mods, but it really, 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 we have to hit it home, guys, that it's not right to do a body mod on a human without asking their permission. That's really the bottom line, okay? Uh, sometimes people will argue, oh, it's cleaner. That's a total lie. That's uh, medical indoctrination. And in case you did not know, no medical association in the world currently recommends routine infant circumcision. Uh, circumcision actually has very mysterious origins, but we know uh, that the very most beginning origin of circumcision was to uh, shame and um, guilt slaves, like to put to put slaves into a state of like embarrassment, humiliation, shame, that type of frequency. So the very root of of male genital mutilation is uh, shaming and, and and to embarrass slaves. So I think once we realize that and then we look at the historical sort of um, way that circumcision has changed throughout the era, throughout time and, and different eras, we start to see that it's really not so much a religious thing as it is a sort of a satanic um, cult-like uh, ritual uh, of which needs to stop. And again, if an adult wants to, to be uh, circumcised, that's totally fine in my books as long as they consent to the, the operation. Uh, but so, so I really need to really be clear because I can hear certain pro-circumcision people saying, well, you know, it's my body, my choice. Of course, of course it is your body, your choice. And that's really the message that I really want to reify is whether it's uh, masks, whether it's vaccinations, whether it's circumcision, whatever it is, it has to be done on a consenting human. My body, my choice, my freedom. And I know that Anthony um, agrees with that sentiment. And without further ado, I hope you enjoy my interview with the one and only Anthony Blood. Awesome. So I'm here with my buddy, Anthony Blood, and we are here to talk about uh, circumcision. Is that your real last name? Because that it is. Word? Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> Yeah, I didn't become an intactivist or, or genital autonomy advocate or, or go to a bloodstained men protest and say spontaneously that I want to change my name. It'll fit. That'll be my but stage yeah, that's name. What I was wondering, yeah, <laughs> your uh, intactivist stage name, but no, it's, it's perfectly fitting. And, and, and to get right into it, like you're quite new to the intactivist, uh, you know, understanding and community. Like you kind of woke up, you said maybe eight months ago to the, the fact that circumcision that you'd been genitally mutilated as a baby. Yes, we're talking in uh, February 2022, and, and I discovered this May of 2021. So, wow. you know, you do the math on that. And uh, I just happened to come across it randomly, as many people do now with this internet age. Um, yeah. On YouTube, I saw a Foragen video on their Hufo, the human foreskin um, model that Ayala Vincenzo designed, a very lifelike model mm -hmm. i have one right here that's that's not the lifelike one but it's an educational model so you don't see the blood vessels and whatnot but it gives okay. you a really good indication of size yes um and so it's useful for that but you know prior to that time and i was 25 and a half when i when i discovered that i never identified as a circumcised male 
it never came to mind. It was never discussed, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that there, I'm sure that I heard pop culture references in television shows or movies to circumcision, but I was never curious enough to really ask, you know, what is this? What's removed? What are the implications of it? What's the history of it? And why do we do it? Until I discovered this, this Foragen video where I could see with my own eyes the, the tissue that's, that's amputated. Mm-hmm. And Aiello Vincenzo was talking about the anatomy, the function, um, that they don't do it in Italy. It's unthinkable to, to amputate it in Italy as it is in most of Europe and most of South America. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it just clicked. It just clicked. I was right place at the right time with the right mindset of, of being open to this information. And it's almost like um, the book, The Giver. Did you guys have to read that in, in elementary school by Lois Laurie? Yes, that's a real, it's funny. Like I just got goosebumps, like you making that analogy because it makes perfect sense. I did, I did read that and I've seen the movie. Mm, uh, it's, yeah. it's, yeah, it's a really good, a really good uh, analogy there. And people just, it's just been so normalized. It's a systemic, I think that's the word that they use in, in sociology, it's systemic abuse systemic satanic uh, genital mutilation of unconsenting uh, babies. And because so many people have been mutilated, there is such a cognitive dissonance that it can arise when people like us say, hey, do you realize that this is not ethical? Do you realize that this actually is removing um, part of uh, a human's body that's actually been designed, uh, evolved over millions and millions of years for very specific functions? And it's almost like too much for some people and they just, you know, they block you or they, as they tried to, as they did to you, they deleted your account, they reported your account simply for just talking about circumcision uh, trauma. Can you go over like the, the important functions, the scientific uh, functions of the foreskin? I sure can. Um, So they're primarily, uh, they can primarily be grouped into two separate categories, sexual and protective. And, and I'll rattle some of those off now, and you can find them on www.circumstitions.com. Also, Saving Sons has a list. Plenty of these genital autonomy advocacy websites have a, have a list of the functions. So the first one is erotic pleasure, especially via the ridged or Freenar band uh, and Meisner, Meisner's corpuscles, which are, are very sensitive, fine touch nerve endings. Um, Acts as a rolling bearing in intercourse and masturbation, prevents painful intercourse for oneself and for one's partner. Yeah, and stimulates. Just to, to pause on that one for a sec. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Doctor Dr. Christiane Northrup, who is is a teacher of mine, you know, I was telling Anthony before we started recording that uh, she she feels really really uh, guilt you know guilty about you know that she used to circumcise, and she would. Uh, invite mothers in to say hey like you want your baby circumcised you want me to start can you come in and watch because you know i think you don't know what this is all about and they would always say no i don't want to because the the mothers knew on a subconscious level that it was a trauma uh, and they just didn't want to be part of it they're just saying no no just do it i don't want to know how it happened or what it was like for the baby just do it and so now she just she's on a crusade to like she's in a, a total intactivist now and she wrote uh, praise uh, for the book that we both like, uh, Circumcision, the Hidden Trauma by Ronald L. Mm. Goldman. Uh, she's actually in, the, uh, in, in there praising the book and talking about how, how damaging uh, circumcision is. And she, she said, it's, it's called vaginismus, when the woman uh, finds it painful to be having sex. 
And she said the chances of vaginismus are higher uh, when the partner is uh, circumcised, because as you were alluding to, that that skin actually keeps the vaginal secretions in the vagina. The, 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 the rolled back foreskin keeps the secretions in the vagina and it kind of rolls around and it just provides more uh, motility and lubrication for the sexual experience. Absolutely. The skin is, is soft in the, in the gliding mechanism of the, the prepuce back and forth over the glands, over the head, is a much more sumptuous massaging action as opposed to purely friction. Yes. And on top of that, as we're going to get into the protective functions um, of the prepuce or foreskin are to, to keep the glands mucosal. And when it's no longer protected, it dries out, which can also exacerbate pain during intercourse. Um, additionally, males lubricate naturally, aka smegma or preseminal fluid. The form of the prepuce allows for those fluids to be retained and produced. Yes. Um, which and which allows for it's cleaner. But yeah, what right. I really want to hit home to listeners is that the uh, the the secretions underneath the foreskin they only smell gross if you're not healthy. In other words, the, the, the penis is like the flower and the foreskin is like the petals, right? So A, it's closed until a boy is anywhere from age four to 20 years old. Like in other words, it's fused by the um, hymenal, um, some sort of hymenal structure that keeps it fused. And it's meant to blossom in its own time. And when you get aroused, the penis, roll, the foreskin rolls back and there will be a pheromonal scent that's designed to attract the mate. Not only from the apocrine sweat glands on either side of your genitals and the, the, those pheromones get trapped in your pubic hair, but also those pheromones get trapped in your foreskin. And the idea that it's cleaner is only coming from the, the sort of uh, false belief that we're not allowed to seep. We're not allowed to smell. Everything has to be covered up with old spice and uh, aluminum filled deodorants. And we have to be squeaky clean with dove soap that has carcinogens in it. It's all a big psyop guys. You're, you're actually supposed to seep and, and, and your genitals are supposed to secrete beautiful fluids, just like a flower secreting a beautiful odor. You don't want to stunt that. So anyway, oh, you've, you've gone invisible. I'm going to pause. Uh, sure thing. Yeah. So basically the penis is, is a flower and the uh, foreskin are, are the, is the, like the petals. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, there's nothing intrinsically dirty about male or female genitalia. And on the note of smegma, I mean, girls produce far more of it. I mean, their genitalia is significantly more internal than our own. I mean, we, we only have one or just our tip is internal. Um, so if one were to, to cut routinely cut off parts of infants genitals for that reason, we would also be cutting that of girls. Right. Uh, so there, there must be something else going on here as to why we're doing it. And we will get to the history of the, the true reasons why, why we circumcise unbeknownst to us, everything that, that, that we use as excuses to circumcise are really medical fraud. Yes. Medical fraud. And I think, you know, and Dr. Northrup has really hit this home for me is like, I, I feel like you, like me, are, we're empaths. And so sometimes we, and a lot of listeners of, of my show are empaths. I think if you're attracted to my work, you're an empath. If you resonate what I'm trying to do, you're an empath. And so sometimes we don't realize just how dark some people are 
and how some groups are and how some culty traditions like circumcision truly are. And so what Northrop has taught me is that she's convinced that energy vampires run the planet. So people in high levels of government, for example, Justin Trudeau, he's clearly a sociopath. We've seen from his behavior over the last six months, you know, he's clearly a, a tyrannical sociopath. More, more mainstream people are waking up to that, that reality. People like Dr. Anthony Fauci, totally an energy vampire. You can just see it in his face and his, his decisions. People like Bill Gates with his shit eating grin. You can mm. just tell that these people are sociopaths. So the people who came up with the ritual of circumcision and who keep saying that it's something that needs to be done. Like if you watch the movie American Circumcision by Brendan Murata, they interview that guy who's super pro circumcision. He's from like South Africa or New Zealand. Or Brian something. Morris, I believe is his name. Yeah, you can just look like you can see it in his eyes. There's there's yeah. not there's it. They're lifeless. I mean, and it's I don't want to say I hesitate to use terms like vampire or something that's like to the average person, they'll they'll interpret that as woo woo. Yeah. But I, I agree with you. It's an apt it's an apt uh, label. Um, we could even use the term uh, cluster B personality disorder types in the DSM, like the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Psychiatry. So these characters, we don't even have to use the word energy vampire. We just say they are, they they are on on the spectrum of being sociopaths, narcissistic personality disorder, uh, borderline personality disorder, mm, histrionic yeah. personality disorder. These types of um, cluster B personality types. And as you know, all of those psychological states and afflictions can be calibrated, and they're all calibratable, and they're all lower energy i mean it's really just it comes down to how how dangerously is your ego in control um i think just the more asleep you are um identifying with the false sense of self the more evil you can actually perpetuate in the world mm -hmm. and um you can see it with brian morris for instance you look into his eyes and, and there isn't any empathy in that man um, I mean, I, I would recommend the viewers go watch that documentary you alluded to, American Circumcision, and, and see for yourselves. Mm -hmm. It used to be on Netflix, but now it's on Apple TV and YouTube, I think. It yeah, it's on more. Vimeo as well, Amazon Prime Video. And if you have a Peacock subscription, it's free. Oh, it's on Amazon Prime Video. Yes, I, I purchased it. You have to um, either oh, rent or purchase included. it. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay, it's well worth worth the money. And Four bucks, yeah, absolutely. Yeah so so uh, in, informative so let's continue with those benefits of the foreskin the purpose the scientific uh, evolutionary purpose sure sure get back to the functions so number four stimulates partners genitalia giving erotic pleasure um and and on an, on that note the frenar or ridged band at the very tip of the prep use is supposed to stimulate her g-spot and that is our g-spot that Can is one of them again that was interesting the, the ridged band, um, the, the sphincter at the tip of the foreskin, which is, is not just skin, it's, it's, it's a different kind of tissue. There are multiple types of tissue within the prepuce, mm -hmm. uh, including the inner bilayer, which is inner mucosa. It's actually not skin. And that wraps around the mucosal glands or head. But the, the ridged band, the sphincter at the tip, one of its functions is to stimulate your, your partner's G-spot if, if your partner is a female. Um, as it's your G-spot as well, you're, you're supposed to link up in that way. And that's one reason why we have ridged condoms. You know, that's why they're so ubiquitously used. So the ridged band itself, like as a totality, is meant to stimulate her G-spot area? Yeah, yeah. 
Interesting, because when the foreskin rolls back, that ridged band is somewhere sort of at the top of the shaft. Yeah, it, it, behind the, the coronal ridge, and that is, again, we'll get to another function of it. Um, in fact, in fact, I'll look that one up right now. Um, so it, it, it makes the, you're, you're talking about the eversion and reversion of the prep use back and forth over the glands and when intact men become aroused rather often, the, the foreskin will naturally retract behind the coronal ridge so that the glands will be exposed. And that is the eighth function to make the glands a visual signal of sexual arousal. But when you're, you're penetrating, um, obviously, I don't know this from experience because I was circumcised in day eight as an infant, Are you but that eversion, no, I was in the NICU for, for eight days. And as a parting gift, they, they tortured and genitally mutilated me without anesthesia. Why were you uh, but I'm not there? Jewish. It was, it was totally um, ironic. I was a preemie. Uh, I wasn't, a, a, I wasn't that small. I was maybe six pounds, but I was about a few weeks premature and one of my lungs wasn't working at all. So I was in an, an incubator for a week and, and yeah. Isn't that crazy? It's like you're, you had some medical conditions. So yeah, we'll just, we'll put you under an unnecessary procedure that could potentially kill you. Yeah, it was life-threatening. Uh, the, the reason I was there was life-threatening and, you know, they waited until I was well enough for them to, to remove it and harvest it and do what they do what they do with it. Make it into a skin cream for Oprah. Yeah. Microneedling. We're not joking, guys. Like, this is all real. Yeah. Like, energy yeah. vampires do run the planet and they actually use babies' foreskins for beauty creams for their face and other other unconsenting things. Yeah, and it's not even hidden. You can look look up Sandra Bullock microneedling, look up Kate Blanchett, um, Kate Beckinsale, I'm failing on other ones, but those are the only ones that have been caught or like been asked mm -hmm. publicly about it on Ellen or Oprah. Yeah. Um, Super but, but yeah, so that aversion and reversion of the foreskin back and forth over the glands, I would imagine once it reverts back over the glands at some point that that tip is likely to stimulate her G spot as well. I see the, in my experience, uh, it stays back. So when I get mm, erect, okay. it actually stays back behind the coronal, uh, edge. the entire time, the entire time. It never, okay. unless I'm masturbating and purposely bringing it forward and back over the glands when I'm having sex, it stays as far as I know. Right. Cause usually so, like I haven't had sex for ages, but when I was having sex, I was using condoms. So perhaps the condom right. kept it back artificially. Right. Maybe. Right. Either way. Um, that skin is still intensely pleasurable to both parties. Very mm -hmm. few women say there's no difference and, and very even fewer women will say that circumcised feels better for them. It's primarily due to the carotenization of the glands though, to be fair, that dried cracked glands that's no longer mucosal, no longer matches the mucosal environment of the vagina. And yes. that's, that can lead to the, uh, dyspareunia, the, the, the painful intercourse and so on and so forth and as we're saying this let's let's give guys listening you know some hope and and some technologies that can hopefully help a little bit because it mm. is so it, it can be so depressing so many guys have reached out to me saying they're just so traumatized and depressed and the, the worst i'd seen was um someone in my naked yoga class where they accidentally cut off the entire head of the penis mm. um so it's, it's really it's really horrible so that carotenization of two things that I can recommend you can do as, as listeners who want to sort of try to resensitize that a bit, uh, red light therapy. Um, so you can get like a juve handheld device.
for a couple hundred bucks. Um, actually, a cheaper company and, and equally, I think, is as good is um, a company out of Australia called Blue Blocks. JP Sears recommends them, and I like JP Sears. He's a funny guy. Uh, it's 660 nanometer uh, red light and 850 nanometer near infrared light. Specifically, the 660 nanometer has been shown to help to soften skin. So I actually roll back my foreskin every morning and I put the red light on my cock and balls because it increases testosterone. The 850 can go deeper into the tissues. Um, and then the 660 can soften and, and make my glands even more smooth and sensitive. Mm. And so I would imagine that could potentially help a little bit for guys who've been um, genitally mutilated. And then also um, I can really recommend a company called Living Libations, a beautiful woman named Nadine Artemis. I had her on the show. We talked about healing cavities naturally. Her company is called livinglibations.com and she's got something called the Shiva Lingam Serum. And it's literally all these essential oils um, like saw palmetto berry, uh, Tonkat Ali oil, uh, like all these really masculinizing herbs that you can get your partner or yourself to rub on your penis. And, and that can sort of help to just bring more sensation, love, uh, healing uh, into your into your penis, which has been, you know, damaged. Yeah, quite severely. Um, quite severely. Quite severely. One thing I will also say in, in terms of moisturizing and, and trying to decarotinize, I haven't found anything that we can apply uh, that that enables that I would trust the the red light it's worth a shot for sure and, and we'll talk more about that I'm, I'm interested in that personally cool. but I will say uh, I, I've in recent days and weeks I've been experimenting with urine therapy okay. I, I hesitate I hesitate to talk about this uh, publicly for for fear of being censored but you know on, on a podcast we're, we're good to go um, topical urine therapy um, applying your own perfect medicine you know that that book i don't know if you're aware of that book about urine therapy but for anybody that's squeamish or or you know put off by by this part of the discussion uh read that book you what's know, it called again it's called your own perfect medicine i i'm oh. failing to, to recall the author okay your own perfect medicine i heard like mm. waters of life is another good one yeah there are a number of books about it i will just say i, I have I haven't come across any kind of topical moisturizer or lotion that comes even remotely close to how urine can uh, come to, to softening skin. And I'm treating my scar line because my scar line for being circumcised as an infant is incredibly dense. And, you know, we'll get into non-surgical restoration. Um, another thing that can give circumcised men some hope. Uh, what we're trying to do is reposition that scar line to the tip. And I don't really want that dense, hard, you know, scar line at the tip of my prepuce, where there would have been a, a softer, um, you know, ridged band, not to mention that's the most sensitive part in to, to fine touch that we have left is literally the scar line, if that gives you an indication to what you lost. Mm -hmm. And uh, so with the pinch pull method that I use, we're tr also trying to expand the, the tissues inherent in the scar line itself. And if your scar line like mine is very dense, it's very difficult to, to manipulate that and pull it forward to, to start to separate the tissues therein and replicate those tissues right. at the site of the scar line specifically. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, let's continue with the benefits. I think there's a few Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, there's quite, quite a lot more. <laughs> so five, supplies skin to cover the shaft in erection and prevent tightness. And often with circumcisions, 
they're so tight that there could even be tearing um, or just pain every time you have an erection, let alone or masturbating or, or having intercourse. And uh, number six, stores pheromones and releases them upon arousal. Um, oh, so that's, my, I thought I just made, I thought I intuitively yeah, made that up, but no. it's actually Oh, it's, it's legit. Right? Yeah. I mean, there are hormone awesome. receptors within the prep use that allow for exchange of estrogen and testosterone, which uh, allows for a deeper bond with your partner. You know, how could that be a bad thing? Um, seven stores releases and helps distribute natural lubricants. We talked about that smegma and pre-seminal fluid, mm-hmm. uh, and makes the glands a visual signal of sexual arousal. We discussed that. And the final sexual function is to provide a seal against the vaginal wall to contain semen. Um, so, and that's, that's something that is, is related to sometimes circumcised men's inability to, to procreate, um, usually because they lack so much sensation that it's difficult for them to achieve orgasm. Right. Um, and on that note, erectile dysfunction is significantly higher in the circumcised male population than in the intact male population. They're four and a half times more likely to rely on erectile dysfunction drugs. Wow. Um, and, and worse still for some men, it can be difficult to achieve orgasm, but for others, because their glands is exposed and there's direct stimulation of it, regardless of whether, of how much sensation has been destroyed, because the nerves of the glands are no longer protected and now they're dried out and covered in keratin. Uh, they can actually even be premature. Uh, the right. number of men who have left comments on my videos when I start talking about the sexual sensation destruction of circumcision, they say, oh my goodness, I would last one minute instead of two. It's like you're premature because you're circumcised. Right. Um, and, and you can, yes, you can be premature as an intact man as well. It's primarily mental, as you know. Um, you know, sexual transmutation, sexual Kung Fu breathing techniques, whatnot. Yeah. It's less, it's less to do with your configuration of your anatomy than it is, than it is mental and breath work and, and your techniques of, of making love. Um, that said, the, the anatomy still matters. And if you've been harmed, you're going to see dysfunction. If you amputate large functional parts, large functional, valuable, sensitive parts of infants, reproductive anatomy and genitals, it's obviously going to result in sexual dysfunction when they reach maturity. Yes. You know, I just watched a, a movie about a cult uh, called Nexium. Have you heard of this cult? They started. I have not. I have so not. They um, had a huge contingency in up here in Vancouver from like 2010 to 2014 that I was being trying to get, they were trying to get me involved. They would go after like well-known yoga teachers and actors um, people with with followings and and uh, i had quite a big following in the yoga community so they i i would say about 30 to 40 percent of my students were part of this cult uh called nexium uh, uh, the branch uh, in vancouver that they were part of was called esp executive success programs and it was led the head guy's name was keith ranieri and um to make a long story short like they would, they were like, oh, this is going to be so good for you. Like you'll make more money and it's personal development. It's kind of like Landmark. Mm. I don't know if you know people who do Landmark, but it's kind of like I don't. some good technology, but it's very culty and they try to like suck you in and, and, and the courses are quite expensive. It and sounds so like, um, it sounds like Scientology a little bit. Yeah. There's elements that Keith Ranieri incorporated from Scientology into this mm. cult. And so 
like I just got this like really gross feeling when I went to one of their meetings like you had to like call the head guy uh, vanguard and the head lady prefect and you had to wear like a sash indicating your status in the group um, <laughs> and it was mostly women who were part of it like all my female yoga students seemed to be part of it and they were really really predatory in terms of getting me on board and then mm. I met this guy named Mark Vicente uh, at one of the meetings I think I went to two introductory meetings and um, he was just was the, the things he was saying, it didn't feel right. He's like, oh, here's my business card. And I was like, oh, thank you. And I gave him my business card. He's like, it was almost like that triggered him or something. And then he, he's like, well, I have two businesses. And then he's like, this is my other business. And I was like, okay, this is really weird. Um, a little bit, a little bit American psycho right there. <laughs> yeah, it felt, it felt really dark, just the whole situation. So I, I kept doing the broken record. I said, no, well, you should be part of it. No, it'll be good for you. No. And I just kept saying no. And so sure enough, this is a fully fledged cult where Keith was actually branding. He had like a mini cult within the cult called uh, DOS and it was for women. And it, it stood for like dominant submissive sorority. And so women would take on new women and they would be like the master and the new women would be the slave. And they were doing calorie counting and they were branding, they were having their vaginas branded uh in a, in a ritual and then getting their pussies eaten out by like random people with blindfolds on and the mm. branding they told the girls that the brand just symbolizes the five elements but it was actually keith ranieri's initials and there was this girl named allison mack who had a lead role in the in the vancouver shot film um tv series smallville about superwoman or superman or whatever prequel to superman and so mm. she was keith ranieri's second in command so anyway keith ranieri long story short uh one mother who was a famous actress from dynasty her daughter got involved in the cult and she did everything she could to get her out it took her years and years to get her out of the cult and because of her persistence they were able to shut the cult down and uh keith is is now in prison and allison mack is in prison for shorter but the reason why i brought this up is because people are so horrified by that you know that there's cults that are branding women's pelvic areas and what i really want to say is this society is a cult and instead of just branding women's pelvic areas we're actually cutting off boys the most sensitive part of their uh genitalia their anatomy without any permission like we're we are also in a satanic cult guys like wake up it's not just keith ranieri you too are in a satanic cult yeah it's a it's a severe infringement upon basic fundamental human rights if, if you have no right to keep your genitals intact at birth and not be cut on without anesthesia having as you said the most erogenous parts removed significantly more than half of the overall sensory tissue of the penis ablated mm -hmm. and torn off because it's fused to the glands then then what rights really do you have i mean it's it's absolutely uh you know cult behavior and yes. you know one of, one of the best people people will get triggered by this but breathe you know, have an open mind, you can liken it to female genital mutilation. You know, we look at cultures that, that mutilate their, their girls' genitals, usually in childhood and not infancy, um, and, and with, with feelings of that's, that's barbarism, it's, it's cruel, it's evil, those people should be locked up or killed. Yet we look at boys and we think that amputating their prep use, which is on average, it's significantly larger. I mean, the prep use of a, of a mature male is 12 to 15 square inches of tissue. And for females, it's the clitoral hood. So 
I mean, I don't know how, how large that is, but it's certainly a far cry from 15 square inches. And of course, I'm not saying that they're not, they're, they're equal in terms of the psychological mechanisms involved, the trauma incurred from, from both. We'll get to the trauma uh, eventually in this podcast. Um, but in terms of overall sensory tissue removed, they're, they're far more than comparable. They're far more than comparable. And the tissues are homologous and they're both functional and they evolved over millions of years for purposes, for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's really where I try to, 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 you know, red pill people sometimes, uh, because it would just be so easy for them to, if they could take the, the same energy they have for FGM and apply it to routine infant circumcision, which is really male genital mutilation, then this could be over so quickly. Oh, yeah. uh, but, but they actually get triggered when you mention when you mention that, but of course there are many different types of FGM and MGM. Um, and the, the average FGM is, is a, a nicking of the prep piece where there's no tissue removed. So a nicking of the clitoral hood mm-hmm. uh, and, and, or complete prep piece removal or clitoridectomy, which is removal of the clitoris or, or the, or the, the prep use, the, the foreskin. And, and for, for, 10% of the cases, if you look at on the World Health Organization website, uh, 10% of the case of, of FGM cases, about 8 million girls and women worldwide um, are subjected to infibulation type three, where they ablate all external tissue and sew up the vaginal opening. And that is what comes to people's minds, the average uh, what percent was person that? in the West, 10%. 10%. 10 of FGM cases, it's 8 million women. Meanwhile, in America, we have 120 million men and boys who've been subjected to male genital mutilation, which is, there's a list on the World Health Organization website where you can see a list of the child genital cutting, CGC, mm-hmm. and it's listed in terms of invasiveness. And mm-hmm. you can see for male circumcision, it's dead in the middle. And some of the most common forms of, of FGM are, are closer to the bottom. Type yeah. three infibulation is higher as it should be than routine infant circumcision of, of boys and males because the sewing up of the vaginal opening causes far more problems than just sexual ones. Um, I mean, they can have problems urinating. It'd be painful for them to sit down. Um, and so justifiably, you know, when people say that FGM is more invasive or more destructive, they're right if they're talking about the minority of FGM cases, but they don't want to say what they're saying is as a whole, and if you're saying, generally speaking, FGM is worse than, than MGM, it's not correct. Generally speaking, they're identical. Yes. And generally speaking, you know, generally speaking, when you, when you subject to males to type two uh, MGC, which is what we do in America and uh, places like South Korea, um, Israel, and then most of the Muslim world, you're, you're amputating the entire prep use. You know, we, we started this practice thousands of years ago with just the amputation of the most erogenous part, the ridged band. Um, but what happened was the, the rabbis learned that men were stretching out their prep use, restoring them, growing new skin by, by tying pieces of twine around their prep use to, to make up for that extra bit that they lost. And they did this because they were, they were rather insecure when around intact men like like the greeks for instance when they would do the the olympic games in the nude Mm -hmm. and they'd be ridiculed or chastised or even probably i would imagine feared feared for their lives in some cases you know a very different time back then and so they would stretch the remaining skin over and when the rabbis caught wind of this they they sought revenge and they radicalized it to the pariah cut which is what we do now in america as the standard procedure 
where they ablate the whole thing. And rather often when you ablate that, you're also ablating the frenulum, which as you know, personally, is one of the most, if not the most erogenous structures. Um, It's likened to the clitoris in the female. It's often referred to as the male clitoris. So when you're doing the average routine infant circumcision, it's like type one and type two, if I'm getting those correct uh, FGM put together, it's a clitoridectomy effectively and complete prep use removal. So they're more than comparable and certainly in terms of overall tissue that's ablated. So, um, you know, to wrap this, this diatribe up, it's, if we were to just look at, at each of these types of genital cutting, regardless of gender as, and hold the same energy, or if we were to regard them as similar, not only similar, but basically identical fundamentally and hold the same energy for it, this would be over pretty quickly. And people would have a lot more empathy for men who've suffered it. Yeah. It's, um, a trans activist reached out to me. I, I had had them on my podcast um, a few years ago, and they I had made a post about, you know, the cult that runs the planet. I got that line from David Icke, the cult that I love it, the cult that runs the planet. Um, you know, they the same cult behind mandatory masks and vaccinations is the same cult behind uh, child infant mutilation of both boys and girls. And this trans activist you know, who doesn't even have a penis was just like freaking out at me and saying I was anti-Semitic and, you know, my girlfriend is Jewish and you're anti-Semitic. And I was like, I'm against any type of genital cutting. I don't care what religion it's from, you know, or what gender it's being or what you know, gender it's done to. And then on, yeah. their response was, well, I am against female genital mutilation and I'm having an expert on FGM on my podcast and blah, blah, blah. But for circumcision, it's just a little nick, you know, mm. I don't, I haven't met any man who was upset about their circumcision. It's just a tiny little snip. That's right. literally what they said. And I said, you know, please watch the movie American Circumcision and they never watched it. And I ended up, of just, course not. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure they ended up blocking me or, or restricting me, you know, like they, they weren't interested in educating themselves. They were more interested in upholding, you know, people act like addicts when you challenge their beliefs sometimes. They act like right. they just don't want to give up their little beliefy. They don't want to question their little beliefy. They're just like holding on to it like an addict holding on to cocaine. So I, I try to have compassion, but at the same time, I get a little bit impatient. So that's why yeah. I'm so grateful to have you on the show to talk about it, this. It's understandable to get impatient because their ignorance is actually perpetuating violence and yes. <laughs> against infants of, of all age groups. And you know, on that note, I think that a lot of feminists can kind of block their ears to this issue because it's a legitimate it's a legitimate grievance that men have mm-hmm. um, that I don't like to use the victim word but there are victims of it I mean if, if you were if you were circumcised you were a victim of circumcision I don't think that's a good mindset to have but um, True. anyway the, the point the point I'm making is is ultimately they don't imagine if it were the other way around if if females were circumcised in this country routinely and we were harvesting their tissues selling them to stem cell and cosmetic companies Mm -hmm. this would be the number one piece of of reality that they would point to the number one fact they would point to to uphold their uh theory of the patriarchal dominant society that oppresses women it would be then what else would there be and so they they don't want us to ultimately show that you know men suffer too and it yeah. can get really it can get really ugly i mean the 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 resentment that a lot of these radical feminists have not first or second wave feminism but the third wave radical contemporary feminism 
-hmm. this resentment they have toward men is so severe that it extends onto infant boys where they have where they're unfeeling for innocent baby boys being tortured and genitally mutilated and i've seen it time and time again in my comment section and and even one video on tiktok of this woman who and i doubt it was ever reported or, or erased unlike my content uh where she was celebrating uh, the fact that she assisted with a circumcision and that she did her part for the patriarchy that day or, or wow. for taking dismantling the patriarchy it's like this this baby boy took his first breath and and you know never performed any kind of action or or verbalization so he's completely innocent and she's celebrating his genital mutilation because of how severe uh, severely warped and perverted her her conceptual of reality in particular with respect to this invisible gender war that people want to have these days it's crazy and you know i i think that the cult that runs the planet or the dominator system whatever you want to call it it's a multi-pronged approach to uh keeping men in a state of competition comparison and um treating themselves and others not as kindly as they could and i think circumcision is one of those prongs that is used to actually propagate violence towards other men competition comparison as well as violence towards women and you know with that whole me too movement in 2017 with like harvey weinstein and all the the abuses coming forward interestingly enough the trans activist who was pissed off at me her girlfriend prior to the new Jewish one, but her older girlfriend was Rose McGowan, who actually reported she was one of the whistleblowers for the Me Too movement. And uh, it's just interesting because circumcision, I think, is one of the bedrocks of the propagation of violence. It's one of the catalysts of violence towards women. Mm -hmm. um, and, and going back to that cult, the Nexium cult, the mother who was trying to free her daughter, she was trying for years, but it wasn't until Rose McGowan reported uh, Harvey Weinstein and, and that whole Twitter Me Too movement blew up that the FBI said, okay, let's go in and stop this cult. Um, so now a lot of those feminists who are, you know, anti um, boys rights, what they don't realize is they're actually propagating violence towards women by being violent to, to the genitals of little unconsenting boys. It's all related. Precisely, precisely. Um, that's part of the trauma. I mean, it perpetuates anger subconsciously in, in the men's, in, in, in the minds of men who've been affected by it directly. And, and like I said, we'll, we'll get to the, the trauma when we fill, finish with the, the functions. Yes. Um, so go, getting onto the protective functions, which are, are closely related to the sexual as well, you know, pre pre preserving nerves and, and mucosal tissue and such, uh, function 10 prevent, prevents the glands from becoming carotenized. And, and carotenization is a building up of layers of protein, keratin, which intentionally desensitize the mucosal glands, the once mucosal glands, it tries it out and, and covers the nerves in something to protect them, a barrier, because as you well know, as an intact man yourself, if you were aroused and your, your mucosal glands were to rub up against fabric or any kind of friction, it can be very, very uncomfortable. And it's very uncomfortable for an infant um, when they're, they have a, a bare diaper. I mean, that, that can add to the tra trauma as well. If you, if you were to look up um, UK man, 22, commits suicide because of his circumcision, in his letter to his mom that he wrote via email, he talks about the, the glands being uncovered and the, the discomfort. One of his major 
reasons for ending his own life was the discomfort from this mucosa. And we're doing this to babies. They have no escape from it until it dries out and carotenizes. And certainly by the time they reach sexual maturity, it's completely carotenized and it will continue to do so every day for the rest of his life. Yes. And often that's why we have experienced such high levels of erectile dysfunction in, in our 50s and 60s and sometimes even our 40s or 30s because it's, it doesn't stop carotenizing. It will do so until you die. Right. Um, I don't know if this is a good time to tie in the rabbi quotes just to like hit oh, home sure. that this is not done for hygiene. This is Absolutely. not done to reduce AIDS or STDs. These are Absolutely. all excuses that the medical cult has promulgated and they're just going to keep coming up with excuses to rape your children but uh let's go to the rabbis because the real reason why this is done is go ahead Anthony. yeah it's it's always a good time to bring up these quotes because it really cal recalibrates our perspective as to why this is is done and, and we'll get into the medical fraud after this so these are quotes from revered jewish leaders dating back to 30 a.d and as recent as 1985. circumcision is a symbol of two things necessary to your well-being the excision of sexual pleasure and to check a man's pride, Philo Judaeus 30 AD. The bodily pain is the real purpose of circumcision. One of the reasons is to bring about a decrease in sexual intercourse and a weakening of the organ. The fact that circumcision reduces sexual pleasure is undeniable. Moses Maimonides, 1180 AD, over a thousand years later. Foreskin represents man's worst animal-like urges and must be forcibly harnessed. Nelson Sherman, 1985. And these are and all again, Jewish rabbis? Again, 800 years later. Yeah, they're, well, I don't know if they're all rabbis, but they're revered Jewish leaders. Like, Jewish. There are plenty of, of Jewish individuals who, who chastise these individuals um, or these supposed leaders because of the comments that they made about circumcision, but they're unequivocally correct. Knowing what we know now about the function and anatomy of the foreskin, and I would recommend anybody that is incredulous about the sensation and the erogenous function of the foreskin to look up the Sorel study, especially the graphic, the chart that sort of calibrated and assigned certain fine touch thresholds to various anatomical regions of the penis of the male sex organ. Um, you can find that chart on Google Images. The, the actual study, I believe, is featured in the British Journal of Urology. Uh, and the final quote here, impairment of sexual sensation is a special virtue of circumcision. Pesach Krohn, 1985. Again, for millennia, revered Jewish leaders have been saying all of these things explicitly, that the virtues are about bodily pain and sexual destruction and dysfunction. That's what it's, it's intended to do. And only in the last hundred plus years, um, certainly not, I don't think more than 200 uh, in, in Western society has it been claimed to reduce risk reductions uh, or, or to, to cause risk reductions of certain diseases like HIV, AIDS, STDs, penile cancer, pathological or paraphimosis, UTIs. It's always the fear of the decade that circumcision is supposed to uh, benefit men with. Yes. And, and, and again, the hygiene, people assume that it was always about hygiene because we didn't have access to running water. It, that would render it irrelevant today. But again, those quotes are, are undeniable. They're undeniably true. They were said, they were said by, by multiple leaders over thousands of years. And that was the true reason. It had nothing to do with hygiene. And I think it says in certain religious texts, things similar to that. 
you know anything about that? Like, besides these Jewish leaders in certain religious texts, is there anything like the circumcision should be painful or this or that? To, to be honest, I'm not exactly sure which texts it might be in, in, in terms of, like, I don't think there's anywhere in the Bible, I could be wrong about this because I haven't read the whole book, that, that say it's explicitly for those reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but what they say is, uh, obviously, it's, it's an initiation into, um, I, I think it's somewhere in, I, I don't want to misquote, I don't know if it's Galatians or Genesis. It can't be. It can't be Galatians. That's the New Testament. I think it's Genesis. In in effect, if you weren't circumcised in the Jewish faith, you were going to be excommunicated. I mean, it was effectively a death sentence. Right. Um, and, you know, it, was, it did say something in the Bible about Abraham received the message from God that he had to be circumcised and circumcise yep, all of yep. his male followers. And what I really want to just hit home to to listeners is the Bible was written by a desert tribe thousands and thousands of years ago. I don't know if you've ever played the game of telephone, but if you get five people in a circle and have a little secret message and whisper it into the ears, it gets fucked. It gets horrible <laughs> after just five people in the present moment relay the message to each other. Okay, think about five thousand years of mm. of this message getting warbled. You know, I talk. I sometimes I try to tune into to you know the all knowing one, and the all knowing one told me he's like, uh, no, it, the message was wash your dick. <laughs> it wasn't cut off yeah it was pull it back and wash it because you're in the desert yeah. and sometimes you need to wash you just need to wash that shit it wasn't cut it off yeah it was, and no it was soap, the game of know, telephone <laughs> you don't even fucking need soap you don't put soap on internal organs you just rinse it and maybe use a, a cloth of some kind if you ha- if you happen to produce a good deal of smegma which on that note i've met men in their 50s who are intact that have never seen smegma yeah you I know and, and smegma when i first like when i was in my teens but because i wash it every day it, there's not enough for uh time for it to build up in the mm. fashion that it that it was yeah. building up and also like if i'm eating shit like i used to eat really bad and my dick would kind of smell but now it smells usually quite good um, mm. and i think things like heavy metals like there's a lot of heavy metals um have you heard of the dr dietrich klinghart i haven't no okay he does a lot of research on like glyphosate which is a pesticide uh and he says that he's even been able to measure the chemtrails the geoengineering trails in the sky mm they're mostly glyphosate and aluminum. And we know that thimerosal, mercury, aluminum, yellow number five, MSG, monkey kidney cells, all these things are in vaccines. So he says, he's like, I don't wanna be a conspiracy theorist, but whatever they're spraying on us through the sky, putting in the food, putting in the water, uh, putting in the pharmaceutical injections and pills, it is all coalescing to really cut us off from source and do a number in terms of lowering our vibration. And it also makes us smell worse. <laughs> right. And when you're cut off from source in that way, and you're not in a more conscious, positive energy, energetic state, you're, you're, not, you're going to fail to intuit that your bodily aromas aren't intrinsically dirty or even aversive. Mm-hmm. And in fact, can actually be quite nice. Mm-hmm. You, you can often see within a relationship particular women can love the aroma of the, the natural bodily odor of their male partner mm-hmm. and and likewise for males with you know for instance the, gen- the genitals of their partners if they're healthy it can be quite nice and, and in, yes. in the same way for intact male genitalia mm-hmm. as you say when you really analyzed and revamped your health the aroma started to become not only tolerable 
but something quite nice. And that could be appreciated by a partner. Totally primal. It's, it's part of being a primal human is to release and to seep and to have pheromones that smell good. Um, It's a primal, the primal energies have been cut off. And that's why when I teach my classes uh, to men, we growl and we grab our cocks and balls and, and shake them and, and, and growl into our balls. And I encourage men to grow out their pubic hair and, you know, it's, it's, it's this rewilding uh, element. And, and then to sort of tie it into the whole understanding that another function of the foreskin is to keep the head of the penis sterile until, until the, the, the hymenal um, fusion disintegrates. Yes. So people say, Oh, you know, I had my son circumcised because I was told it was cleaner. That's complete bullshit. It's actually cleaner to keep the foreskin because the foreskin actually keeps the head of the penis sterile. Of course, of course, in infancy, this is the 13th function. In infancy, the foreskin protects the urethra against contamination, needle stenosis, which is a narrowing of the urethra, can lead to a lot of urinary problems later in life. And it's very common in circumcised men. And I'd imagine, you know, very uncommon in intact men, if, if it even occurs. And, and also to protect against UTIs. So that the, the foreskin, especially the acroposition at the tip, that the bunching of the skin, in infancy, along with the phomotic fused nature of the foreskin, allows for, you know, natural protection against diseases and things that circumcision are, is supposed to benefit us mm-hmm. in, in reducing the, the risk of contracting. And it's just not true. I mean, it's very easy to understand uh, in the sense that intact care is very simple. You wash it as you would a finger because it's fused to the glands. You don't have to retract as you well know from personal experience. It can be traumatic when a pediatrician or a parent unsuspectingly and ignorantly rips your glands back. Yeah. Only seeing what is seen. That's what, that's what I was. Yes. In 99% of infections or diseases that can result from being intact through adolescence and young adulthood and, and teenagehood are results of forcible retraction and yes yeah you know one of my brothers had a tight foreskin had to get us had to get a circumcision at 12 and i just can't help but wonder because i was prematurely retracted at age four by a doctor as you just said it was the most painful experience of my life in terms of penile experiences and i remember it was very creepy he was this creepy old doctor in a white lab coat and i was four or five and he he did exactly as you described He, he pulled it back and because that hymenal fusion was there, it just ripped, it just, it's like ripping mm-hmm. off a, a puppy's eyelids or ripping off your fingernail. It was only weird. far more excruciating because it is yeah. so nerve dense with all of those fine touch nerves. Yes. Um, and it was a form of circumcision. It wasn't as bad mm, as what happened yeah. to you, but it was a form right. of, a, of a traumatization of the roots, which is right. what the cult wants to do. Because if they can cut us off from that which is wild and free, then they don't have to put a literal cage around us. So the, the, the premature forcible force retraction, circumcision, aluminum chemtrails, glyphosate in the food, pharmaceuticals that have graphene oxide, these, it's a multi-pronged approach to dumbification of the masses. Right, right. And, and to wrap up with the intact care or care of, of intact boys, it's very simple, very easy. Um, conversely, if you have your boy circumcised, you have to apply bacitracin. You have to care for the wound. He now has an open wound, which is far more likely to get infected than, than his intact genitals would be. I mean, you're, you have an open, you have, yes. And you have an open wound in a diaper, which is filled with fecal matter and urine and whatnot. 
Um, I don't think that personally the urine is, is really much to be worried about, but certainly the fecal matter is. And with an open wound, I mean, you don't want anything, any kind of uh, potentially harmful bacteria to be, to be entering that wound. So it's, it's, it's ludicrous to, to circumcise for supposed health benefits. There are none. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. What did you say? Uh, just well, I don't want to get too much into, into debunking germ theory because I've done that on other shows. Right. But even, okay. even the promulgation of the theory that, you know, there are these evil microbes and, you know, we got to circumcise so that the evil microbes don't take over the mm. clock and give you penile cancer or HPV. It's yeah. all bullshit. Like you can even, even Louis Pasteur, who invented the fraudulent germ theory, you can read the book by Harvard Press, uh, The Private Science of Louis Pasteur. He fraudulated all of his data. He could never prove any of his theories. So pasteurization is bullshit. Raw milk is good for you. Oh, yeah. Bacteria oh, dude, I could talk about good. that for an hour. Yeah. I could talk about that for an hour. Yeah. Right? The, so the raw milk, absolutely. HIV, HIV has never even been isolated or proven to cause AIDS. Kerry mm. Mullis, who won the Nobel Prize for the PCR technology, said that himself. I'm not just making mm. this up. And then he died in August of 2019. Yeah. This charade. If he was still alive, he would be promulgating the truth about his PCR technology that he won the Nobel Prize for. It's not meant as a diagnostic tool. Absolutely. HIV and COVID have never even been isolated. Um, so, so we have to also get into that idea that they're, they're really just grasping at straws to try to come up with excuses to keep doing this horrific practice on, on unconsenting humans. Uh, and it, it starts in the West, like in, in the States with Harvey Kellogg, who's the creator of Kellogg's cornflakes. He actually said, his cornflakes would prevent masturbation of little girls and little boys. And mm. he recommended uh, putting carbolic acid on the clits of little girls to stop them from masturbating and circumcising boys without anesthetic to stop them mm -hmm. from masturbating. So it's guys, it's not about cleanliness. Yeah, guys, that was fraudulent. It's about preventing yeah. sexual pleasure, both in the West yeah, and absolutely. in its rabbinic um, origins, as well as in Africa. The tribes in Africa who circumcise, they say it should be really painful because the more painful it is and the more you don't flinch, the more masculine you are. Absolutely. And they give the same reasons. People think that they give different reasons for FGM. But if you were to go to the World Health Organization website and read about the justifications that those cultures, uh, particularly in Africa, use in, in like, for instance, Somalia, where like 80% of, of at least conservatively are, are circumcised and generally mutilated. Uh, they give the same reasons. It's more hygienic. It's more aesthetically pleasing when there's the, the lips are smaller or the clitoris is removed. Uh, it prevents UTIs, like all this same bullshit. And uh, on the note of, I want to go through each supposed um, benefit, UTIs, for instance, girls are 10 to 50 times more likely to develop urinary tract infections. So if we're going to circumcise boys for that reason, why are, why are we not prepucially amputating girls mm -hmm. at infancy routinely? We give them antibiotics. Yeah. Yeah, we give them antibiotics. There's not a single there's not a single ailment or disease that could be treated non-surgically with respect to um, you know men's penises, uh, apart from frostbite, gangrene, and penile cancer. I think there might be one more, but it's it's as uncommon and rare as those three. Everything else, paraphimosis, pathological phimosis, UTI, other kinds of infections, can all be healed non-surgically but but yes. with things like steroidal creams or manual stretching or, or a perhaps changing ring. your or changing your diet or, or or throwing out those those medications that are exacerbating whatever yeast infection or something or causing it in the first place those heavy metals 
yeah, yeah. the um the phimosis is often caused as you said before by the doctor mm. or the caregiver prematurely uh ripping the foreskin yeah. back and then probably what happened to my brother i'm not i'm not 100 percent sure but that could have caused the tight foreskin in his teen years you know i had a tight, i remember i remember like being 12 years old and it was so tight and i was like trying to get it back in recess i went into the bathroom and mm. i just felt like it needed to go back and i was like ah oh, this is so painful and uh, I, I believe that my uh, foreskin was scarred from that doctor aggressively ripping it when I was four. Certainly could be. It yeah. certainly could be. I mean. Fimo rings are also another way that you can deal with a tight foreskin without having to get yep. a circumcision. They're these consensually, it's almost like shishka dolls. You start with a small ring, you put it in the acropostion. How do you pronounce it? Acropos it's the acropostion. Acropostion. You put it in the mm. acropostion and then you sequentially over the over the course of several months will put in a bigger and a bigger one until the foreskin stretches out enough. Yeah, and that works, guys. Like we're we're going to get into non-surgical restoration, uh, where men are like myself, going from zero glands coverage and and placing repeated, regular, gentle tension, um, and in the case of manual stretches, not so gentle, but for short periods, um, on our foreskin remnants. And over the course of a few years, on average, we can. We can grow enough skin through skin cell replication, mitosis, uh, to cover our entire glands. If we can do that as men who started with zero glands coverage, any motherfucker that has paraphimosis can, can, can loosen those up a little, just a little bit. Like people, exactly. are always, people are always in denial about, you know, I was circumcised for, for phimosis and I had to do it. And that's a symptom of their trauma. Yeah. They're doubling down. I had to do it because they can't come to terms with the fact that they didn't have to do it. And yeah. why are they so upset? Because it's valuable. They yeah. know experientially that it was valuable and now they're, it's permanently gone. There's always other ways in the medical industrial complex. We have to realize they are a cult and they are not trained in what we're talking about. They're slowly things are changing, but even with like dentists, for example, they believe you cannot heal cavities. I healed my yeah. cavity. You yeah. know, I was shamed by the, and then they shame you. Same idea with mm. this thing. It's like you're, you're, you're shamed for providing other ways of dealing with things that are less invasive. They and that's just it fear. Invasive. It's yes, just yes. fear because they, if they're wrong, they, they, they feel like they can't handle the chaos of, of being incorrect. Because if they're incorrect about that, what other very important issue are they incorrect about? It, it yeah. perpetuates fear. And very few people, I think, have the courage to, to question something as 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 severe as, as circumcision because if what what i'm saying is true and what us intactivists and general autonomy advocates and intact men like yourself are saying is true then what they did like the implications of it are so severe mm -hmm. that it's not going to be comfortable they're going to feel shame for some time they're going to feel grief that's yeah. not the intention of what we're trying to get at we don't want them to feel those emotions for very long if they have to at all um yes. But it's important to protect future generations. And as long as we keep plugging our ears, this is never going to get fixed. I saw this comment on online somewhere. And 100 years from now, our children's children will look back at circumcision in shock, horror, and disbelief that it was ever practiced. Eloquently put. Absolutely true. I just have to use the bathroom. Hey, we're back after our bathroom break. Um, have we gone over all of the benefits of the foreskin? No, and I was actually just going to bring that up. So I'll, I'll read the, the rest of them here. And, and one of the last ones you're really going to like yourself. Um, so 
the, the foreskin protects the thin skinned glands from injury. Um, I, I can recall one story of a, of a man falling on pavement and had he not had a foreskin, he would have had serious lasting, you know, permanent damage to his glands. Mm-hmm. Um, 12, it protects the nerves of the glands retaining their erotic function against the implications of circumcision. You're ablating most of the sensory tissue, most of the penile nerves, but you're also damaging and, and inhibiting from, from experiencing the, the, the sensations of the sensory tissue that is left over with the carotenization of the glands and whatever's left of the inner mucosa, if you have any left. Um, 14, uh, provides lysosomes for bacteriostatic action around the glands. Like hmm. there's a, there's a pH balance for, for mucosal tissue, uh, in, in females, you know, if you were to throw that pH balance off with something like soap, which is, uh, a, a very basic type of, you know, the opposite of, of acidic, it could be very painful. So I'm yeah. sure it's similar for, for males as well. Yes. 15. And this is the one you're personally going to love. The foreskin is pigmented. It protects the unpigmented glands against sunburn. So mm-hmm. for, for, as you well know, the, the benefits of getting your genitals in sun I mean, I don't personally know, I haven't done a whole lot of it, but I know that the sun is, is a very therapeutic, um, energy yeah. and modality testosterone to get it on the genitals specifically studies have shown and you're right, right. the penis right. i've had so many guys reach out to me like dude i'm so ashamed of my penis it's so much darker than the rest of my body skin and i say didn't you learn in sex ed that when you go through puberty your penis your genitalia skin darkens is a sign of puberty Mm. Um, the, the, my, my penis, including my, my foreskin skin is substantially darker than, than my other skin. And it, it's probably to it's darker. So it attracts mates. You can see where the gen, the cock is, right. it's this big, dark developed dick. And then also the pigmentation, you're less apt to burn your dick. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I thought you'd like that one. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> uh, and this is the, the 16th one. So the foreskin is vascular, meaning it's rich in, in blood vessels. And, um, and the function of those blood vessels is to, to bring heat to the tissues. Uh, it protects the, the less vascular glands against frostbite as, uh, I don't know if I'm going to butcher his name, but Sir uh, Ranulf Fienes mm-hmm. found on his epic transpolar walk. So this was a man who presumably was intact and he might've been circumcised and found that he got frostbite rather quickly, but I'd, I'd imagine he was intact and he didn't lose his, his penis of frostbite much yes. to his surprise because he had that protection of the glands. So for, for yep. one of the actual reasons for circumcision, which could be frostbite, uh, if you're intact, you know, you, you, you could prevent the, of, of, of amputating the glands, let alone yes. the foreskin. So, so many so. of my, um, in my men's group, the guys who are uncircum, who are intact, can last longer in our cold plunges than the guys who are cut because the guys who've been genitally mutilated, their um, glands get so cold so quickly, it's really excruciating for them. And um, one guy in in our men's group this morning was actually talking about that. He's like, I love cold plunging, but to be honest, my my mushroom gets so cold, I can't stay in very long. And he's he's circumcised. Yeah, so that just reifies your your point there. So those are all the, all the functions. And that's amazing. There's some very specific ones that I thought I had just thought of, but it's mm-hmm. great that, that they've been documented by other people. Yeah. Yeah. Not a lot of people. It was a surprise to me to hear about the hormonal 
a function of the hormone exchange and the pheromones and whatnot. Mm-hmm. That's really, really, really interesting. And I think it's so, it's so on par. Um, so those, those are all the benefits we talked about, like, we kind of hit home the, the fact that it's not about hygiene. It's really about dampening down sexual pleasure and empowerment. Right. Um, have you done any research into like why the ancient Egyptians did it? Because there's certain, uh, you know, anthropological evidence, like in the tombs that certain like, um, religious sort of, uh, ceremonies in order to be like a religious official in certain Egyptian societies, you had to be circumcised because they believed that would make you more, uh, have more, um, access to occult knowledge. Whereas in other, uh, traditions, they did it to the slaves. So it seems like there's like different purposes at different times and places. In some purposes, it was done by the upper echelons of society. And in other instances, it was done to the slaves. Mm. Yeah, I'm not too familiar on on those cultures, why they why they would circumcise. But obviously, the the collective consciousness at that time, the average whatever of of consciousness of the average person was significantly lower than it is today there was a lot of barbarism that went on i mean there were human sacrifices you know the mayans for instance this is a form of of child sacrifice i mean instead of sacrificing the child's life you're sacrificing part of his anatomy of his genital anatomy and his future sexual fulfillment and sensation and function and also meanwhile traumatizing him um and, and and I don't know if this is a good time to get on to the, the, the trauma in Ronald Goldman's work, or if you would yeah. like to instead go to restoration and regeneration. And maybe when we talk about restoration, we could put a timestamp for men that maybe recognize that circumcision is harmful. They don't want to hear a lot about it because it could exacerbate their trauma and they want to hear what they can do about it. Let's do the trauma now, and then we'll put a time stamp for the restoration okay. protocols and, and then sort of yeah, so it's going to get a little bit intense, guys, for the next little while, and then we'll put us to time stamp yeah, for, yeah. for what we can do about it. We'll finish right. the podcast, so we'll leave on sort of a high note. Right, and, and I just want to say that you know, men who are circumcised as adults, sometimes they say they don't feel a lot of loss of sensation, but if you press further, they get pretty defensive. Mm-hmm. And what's a symptom of PTSD? Anger. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, def- defending what happened to them, defending the event that, that may have been traumatic. Yeah. And men who are honest about it after they've been circumcised, they say it's like once being able to see color and now seeing in black and white, or once being able to taste food and now not being able to taste it with mm-hmm. respect to sexual sensation and function. And many of them can be supremely depressed because they experientially know what they lost. Now, the, the unique aspect uh, and, and phenomenon of, of infant circumcision is that we have no experience that's why they do it to infants that's why they started doing it to infants within the, Jew- the, the the jewish faith because they would have no experience of what they lost and therefore be completely ignorant experientially of what value that body part had and what function it served and it, as and, you said it was an act of narcissistic um rebellion by the rabbis because the biblical circumcision most of the gland yeah. would still have would still be moist because it was exactly covered, right exactly and on that note you know i, I had a, a gentleman in spain 21 year old young man reached out to me was circumcised for phimosis of course did nothing about it for a year and then eventually got the circumcision and they they only removed the tip 
Hmm. And he was still, he was still experiencing suicidal ideation because of how much sensation was ablated mm -hmm. and his glands wasn't very carotenized. Did they keep I mean, relative, they didn't, they amputated the frenulum as well. And oh, he was wow. also, he was also quite sad about that, but it came down to, they asked him, is, is the problem just before the surgery, they said, is the problem the frenulum or the foreskin? And he said both accidentally. So oh. they removed both. Um, and we'll, when we talk about restoration, we'll talk about, you know, how much you should actually grieve your, your frenulum. And you can chime in on that as someone who, who has one. Well, mine um, broke. I, I had right. sex and I, it right. did regrow. I broke it twice during sex. <laughs> right. And then it, it regrew lower. And it's, it's interesting. All that sensitive area is now way lower and not as, it's not as sensitive as it once was. Mm. And it's interesting because yeah. that frenulum is the pineal pituitary thymus and adrenals in Chinese medicine along the frenular band. Okay. So, so when that's destroyed or ablated, my, it happened to my buddy, Brian too. We were both, I was like, Oh, did you, and he's like, yeah, I was zipping after sex. He was like, or Oof. something, he was zipping it up and he, he, he snaps the, the band. Yeah. So, it's, yeah, I've heard a, a good deal of intact men say they do it. I, I would say it's probably the minority, but, uh, uh, and not a negligible minority of men that have issues with their frenulum, but there are special circumcisions where you could remove just the frenulum as opposed to the entire ancient, prepuce. Ancient tribes in um, Africa, sometimes the circumcision is just the removal of the frenulum. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I don't know if that's yeah again, again, one of the most sensitive parts to, to fine touch. I mean, I think it goes the, the frenar band, frenulum, frenular delta, intermucosa, shaft skin and then the glands. So at least in a circumcised individual, it, the glands is, is not very sensitive, but for an intact man, the glands I've heard is, is kind of the majority or the focal point of, at least when you're experiencing penetration, the frenulum I've heard from, from again, this, this young man and many others who were once intact, the frenulum, it varies predicated on people's genetics. Some men, it's the most important part to them. They're like, it gives me 50% of my sensation. Others say, I feel nothing there. Um, that's pretty uncommon to, to hear that someone feels nothing there because again, it's the, the male clitoris. Yeah. Um, but it seems to really be valuable with oral sex because when women or men or men or what your partner is stimulating it, it can, it can actually be so pleasurable that it's almost painful, like in the same way a clitoris could be. Um, so obviously you have to learn how to, you know, do your partner has to learn how to do it in tandem with you to make sure that you're not, um, you know, experiencing that displeasure or the painful pleasure, but it's obviously valuable. You know, if someone yeah. were to be adept at, at doing that gently, it can be very, very pleasurable. And it has a, a very specific biological function, the frenulum itself, because when you get erect, like before mm -hmm. I broke mine, when I would mm -hmm. get erect, the foreskin would slowly roll back to expose the, the mushroom and right. the frenulum as the foreskin was rolling back, the frenulum would tighten. Mm. In other words, narrow the slit of the urethra so that when I ejaculated, my ejaculation mm. would shoot out right into the back of the pussy. That's a really good point. Yes. So it's, it's like, you know, it, it tightens, it really makes it so that that, urethral entrance is a good shooter to, right. to help get that sperm deep into her vagina. Right. And there is that mechanistic benefit to having your foreskin because it anchors the prepuce to the glands 
and is responsible along with that sphincter-like Freenar band for the eversion and reversion, that gliding mechanism of the foreskin. Mm-hmm. But, but what I want to iterate to men who, who want to restore, you can restore a good deal of your sensation. Definitely not all of it. You're never going to recreate the, the Frenar bands, which is densely innervated, the most sensitive part, according to the Sorel study. Frenulum also, if that was ablated, you're not going to. And even if it wasn't, if it was left intact, you're, it's not going to have that anchoring mechanism that we just talked about. It's not connected to anything other than the glands in your shaft. But it will, if you do have it, once you, once you cover, it might not do much for you now as a circumcised man because it's carotenized. Once, once you cover it and it's brought back to its mucosal quality, it will be as sensitive as, as it otherwise would have been. And uh, as you, you muscle tested for me, um, there can be a phantom sensation for those of us who had it ablated. Um, so it's not all hope is lost. And the, the focal point, especially for penetration, from what I've heard from intact men, the, the parts of sex that can bring you to literal tears is the sensation you feel in your glands. So if you cover that with new skin and you, you, you restore properly by growing both inner mucosa and outer skin or sh- the extension of the shaft skin and repositioning that scar line to the tip of the glands and the inner skin, the inner mucosa and that glands decarotenize and become mucosal and sensitive once again, you can, you can have sensations that are very similar to what intact men can feel, mm-hmm. uh, full body orgasms and, and those tingling sensations and, and, and just an overall much more high quality sexual experience. Yeah. And you can energetically connect to your phantom foreskin too. That's one point. And then another point is like people who are blind or who become blind, often mm. their other senses become extremely heightened. So I would imagine people who've been circumcised other certain aspects of the penile pleasure could become heightened potentially. Yeah. I haven't looked for that myself, so I can't speculate as to how that would manifest, but I, I, I wouldn't, um, you know, immediately uh, deny that that's a, the possibility of that. It's definitely possible. I like what you said. You were speaking with Brenda Murata's partner and she was saying that he's decided to stop mm-hmm. restoring because he wants to completely align with the uh, reality that he's going to regrow his foreskin totally using the the stem cell, stem cell technology of Forgen. Mm. I like that approach too because it's like, you know, I'm gonna I'm going to accept that I am worthy of that reality manifesting. Yes, and uh, you know, would would now be be a good time to talk about Forgen and restoration, or, or would you like to talk a little bit about the trauma as well, uh, Ronald Goldman's work, and then Let's and then circle about- back. Yeah, let's circle back. Let's talk a little bit about Goldman. Okay. So, uh, you know, I have his book, Circumcision, the Hidden Trauma, but, you know, I just have some quotes from him to distill. So I'm not going to obviously read the entire book here, but I will read some of the things that he said, and and some of them are very pertinent, especially to the reactions that we get from men who are circumcised and the trauma that they hold. So, So, first of all, you know, for a lot of people that might find this uncomfortable, the perpetuation of circumcision harms is far greater a concern than the discomfort that caused from confronting the ad, the advisability of this practice. So for those of you who may be Jewish and may not question this circumcision, this, this practice, and maybe, I mean, if you're, if that's you, you're probably not still listening to this podcast, but for those of you who may run into those types of people, it's important to note to them that, that fundamental human rights are more important than religious blood rights, R-I-T-E-S, you know, religious blood sacrifices of, of infants, you know, future sex lives. 
uh, or males, I should say, it's you know, infants' future. <laughs> if, if we did that to girls in Canada, like I have a family member who was invited to a, a virtual bris because of the COVID hoax. And so he was, uh, he got up at 5 a.m. to go onto Zoom and the rabbi and the family was all around, you know, in the, in the home in, in wherever it was in Canada. And, uh, you know, they're like, okay, you know, just let you know, like the baby's gonna start to scream bloody murder, but he won't remember a thing, don't worry. And he starts to, you know, separate the foreskin that the family's like drinking wine and celebrating. And like, if it was a little girl and the, and the guy was doing that to the little girl, you would be horrified. People but would be, people would be assaulting him, you know, yeah, unjustifiably so. And putting him in jail, but because for some reason it's a little boy and you say it's because of your religion. So my brother had no idea. He thought that a bris meant a naming ceremony. So he <sighs> thought he was going to tune in to watch this boy receive a special name. But no, he tuned in to watch this boy be uh, raped in front of his immediate family and, and extended family and friends yeah. on Zoom. Uh, you know, and people had their iPhones out, you know, zooming in on the penis while the foreskin was being removed. I'm not sure if it was um, Hasidic or Orthodox Judaism where the, the rabbi actually sucks the blood out of the baby's dick with his mouth. Matsitsa Matsitsa yeah. Yeah, and, and people, I, I talked about this on my Instagram and so many people were like, are you for real? Are you just making this up? And then they Google it and they're like, oh my God, I had no idea that was still legal. Yeah, it's still legal. It's still yeah, legal. And, and they can die from that as well, obviously by contracting yeah. infections that can be fatal. Yeah. And on that note, you know, while we're in the area of trauma, over a hundred infants die every year annually in in, in America. Well, more. In, it was one hundred and thirty something I was reading, and then two, yeah, and those are two hundred uh, globally. Sorry, and those are just the ones that are reported. Mm -hmm. You know, I've talked to the nation's top circumcision lawyer in uh, David Llewellyn out of Atlanta, Georgia, and he told me it's far more um, per pervasive than we think. Uh, yeah. Botches and fatalities well, I, from circumcision. I need to quickly touch on the botch thing because I, I yeah. believe every circumcision is botched. Of course. But, but you know, if, to the average person who thinks circumcision is great or, or is not an issue, if you taught naked yoga like I do, I've taught naked men's yoga for over 12 years, 13 years. I think I started teaching it in 2011. So for a while, and I've seen so many, what you would call, what, what a, a typical westerner would say okay that was a botched circumcision like where like the i mean the worst is the one where they cut off the entire mushroom but and then there were just folds of skin uh, emanating from the shaft but like i've seen ones where they've cut off so much of the frenulum that the pee dribbles out of the bottom of the dick uh, i've seen ones where there are these massive skin bridges that that connect somewhere yes. along the mushroom <clears throat> to somewhere along the shaft and the guy can yes. literally stick his fingers through these skin bridges um i've seen yep. where they've cut off they've cut off like a chunk of the glands a chunk mm -hmm. of the mushroom like i've seen like people are not aware because there's so much shame and somebody who has been botched in that fashion wouldn't talk about it right you're not going to be or even know or even know yeah I've, that's actually I've, I, yeah 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 there's I've, a guy I'm who sure we've both, and I'm sure we've both told them that they had botches like I had, yeah. to, I had to break it to a guy who had a skin bridge and he's like, well, shit, I had no idea. And um, penile adhesions are, are a similar thing to skin bridges, but there's no space underneath. You know, it's just I, skin going from the glands to the shaft. And actually the worst thing that can happen, of course, is the infant dying. But the, the second worst thing is they could lose the entire 
organ. And what they're yeah. left with is basically a man-made vagina yeah. that has no erogenous function. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he still has his testes and he still has that drive. Could you imagine a more torturous situation for a young man to enter the world into apart mm-hmm. from, of course, dying? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, and it's horrific. Happened. And that happens. Like there's um, an instance, um, I think in the seventies, there were these twins born and one of the boys was botched. And so they ended up just raising him as a girl oh. and uh, he ended up committing suicide. They like pumped him full of estrogen. And they, so the guy who wasn't botched, they raised him as a boy, raised the, and they were trying to prove that like gender is not biological, oh. like all this, all this leftist bullshit. And he ended up just killing himself because he, he had no penis and he was pumped full of hormones that were not meant for him. So it's just like, horrible. yeah, it is absolutely. And, and, you know, it's, it's traumatic people like infants feel just as much pain, if not more pain there, there's, there's research that suggests they feel more pain than their adult counterparts. Yeah. And as we've already said, you know, the Sorrell study and what intact men who end up getting circumcised say about the sensation and the fine touch of, and not only that, but like the issues that, the, that can arise, like force, forcible retraction and issues from that, they can be intensely painful. Yes. Some, of the most, some of the most painful things you could possibly experience. And in, Dr. In Northrup 70... said, sorry, just quickly, yeah. Dr. Northrup said in medical school, I guess in the 60s or 70s, she was taught that babies don't feel pain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And before 1987, we didn't use any pain mitigation for infants, even for abdominal surgeries. And uh, you can't put a baby under general anesthesia, to my knowledge. So what they use is local anesthesia if they use it. 75% of the time, they forego any form of local anesthesia. I was born in 1995. I requested my medical records after weeks of them probably not wanting to give it out to me. I've retrieved them there wasn't any record of anesthesia being administered, not even local numbing cream, lidocaine. Wow. Um, and they always bill you for everything, especially in America where the medical system is really about profit more yeah. than it is anything else. So they did not apply anesthesia. There were no operation notes because they didn't consider it a surgery. Right. They, I don't even have the printed name of the person who circumcised me. I have a scribble of a doctor's signature, which we all know is just that, a scribble. Yeah. I have a very good idea of who did it, and, um, you know, it's, it's useful information for me, but, uh, yeah, there was no anesthesia. Most of the time there's no anesthesia. And even if they do use it, it is never completely effective, not even remotely. No. Uh, in the vast majority of cases, they do not wait for it to become as effective as it's capable of, which again is never 100%. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had nurses comment on my content on TikTok saying, I helped with thousands of circumcisions. Maybe two doctors waited for do anything at all. Waited, and the be- out, waited for what? Waited for the anesthesia to become effective at all. Right. Um, and so, and so in, in American Circumcision, which is a, a documentary by Brendan Murata, which you recommended hmm. that people watch, there's two minutes of a, of a 20 minute procedure of, of, a, of an infant circumcision. And this is the best case scenario for a circumcision in terms of pain mitigation. Um, what he did was he injected because this doctor knew he shouldn't have been doing it. He actually informed the parents that you shouldn't do it, but he did it anyway because he knew they would take him somewhere else and that they would mess it up or, or traumatize him even further. He injected four injections of lidocaine into the penis, which intrinsically is painful. There's no anesthesia when the needle goes in. Um, and then he waited five or 10 minutes, something like that, for it to become as effective as it could. 
then he would make a dorsal. He, he would he would take I forget what they call it. Um, like a, some kind of a probe, some oh, yeah, kind of probe. a metal probe to to I know that's not the name, but they would to they separate. would take some to separate, separate the, the glands from the foreskin, basically like digging it under a fingernail and, yeah. and dragging it all the way around the glands. Then they do a dorsal incision or slit along the entire prepuce on the, the top side, the dorsal side, and then they attach a, a clamp. And this doctor in this documentary says the, the pressure of this clamp is the weight of 10 elephants on a single stiletto heel, and it sears the foreskin off when they press it. And so as we were talking about botches, which 11% are botches, and I'm wondering if that's a figure that sounds right to you based on the probably hundreds or thousands of men you've seen in your yoga practices over the last decade. Um, when you when they use that clamp, and some of these clamps have been outlawed and banned, but not enough, uh, because they were more likely to result in amputating partial partial bits of the glands or the entire glands. Is that the um, the clamp is called the Gomco? There's Gomco, there's Mogum. Um, I'm blanking on, on, on the rest of them, but those are some, some popular ones. And I know at and least Plasti one of those, Bell. if not both, Plasti Bell, yeah. I would say anywhere from 11 to 40% would be considered botches by most human eyes right. that, I, that I've seen over the last... Right. 11 is 11% is probably conservative. What people don't yeah. understand is you're working with a very small surface area for infants and, and they, they think that adult circumcision is, is more dangerous. And it's really just to justify the human rights violation that what they're trying to do. It's an excuse for the human rights violation, because yeah. of course, yes, when you're an adult, the, the stitches kid could separate upon um, arousal or, or nocturnal erections, for instance, yeah, but you can take testosterone blockers. There are things you can do, and not only that, but fewer than one in sixteen thousand intact adult men actually have to get a medically necessary circumcision later in life, and that's yeah. if you include things that aren't actually justifications, like paraphimosis. You know, if it, if we were just amputating for legitimate medical reasons, like frostbite, gangrene, cancer, yeah. the like, it would be far fewer. Yeah. Um, what was the point? I didn't understand the point you said about uh, hormone blockers. Oh, hormone blockers for, for those of you, or for those of us who have to have to get a circumcision, which again is the, the numbers, the figures in infinitesimal for those of us intact men that need to get one later, there are things you can do to prevent erection for your stitches to heal. Like there are plenty of men who've been circumcised as adults that allowed their stitches to heal. I mean, perhaps even having aroused states, I mean, it's possible well, the baby and it's, it's a great Yes, circumcision because the nurse will sometimes rub. um, It's the ultimate sexual trauma because the nurse or whoever is doing it will rub the cream, you know, the lidocaine on the baby's penis, and often the baby will get erect. So it's like super pleasurable, and then they cut it off, they separate it. So it's like pleasure to intense excruciating. That permanently instantiates in the brain of the the infant unless they heal it, and most of the time they're not going to be aware of that trauma. So base effectively permanent for most men. And it's not uh, just, uh, it's the start, it's the, it's the contrast of like the pleasure of having that rubbed, you get the erection and then they start sticking needles in to, to, to put in it that. Trains, it trains that infant's mind and eventually that man's mind to associate sexual pleasure with pain. Yeah. And it's, that's, it's, that's in effect in what's going on there. And, and that trauma is very, very deep. And, and none of us know unless our parents were watching or we somehow know our, our rabbi or doctor that did this to us. 
if that happened to us, but either way, it's an assault on a sexual organ and, and we're still going to associate some, some aspect of our sexual life with, with that pain and with that trauma. Yeah. And uh, so we'll get to a little bit more of, of what Ronald Goldman has said here about that. He's an expert on the, the, the trauma of circumcision and has studied this for decades. His book, Circumcision, the Hidden Trauma, was written in 1997. I'm sure since then there have been some studies. I know of one recently, I forget what it was called, that had to be stopped because the evidence was so undeniable and so severe that they stopped actually analyzing the trauma of, of circumcision. And, and I've also heard offhand that uh, there are brain scans out there, like in Canada, they, they were studying this and the brain doesn't return to baseline. And which brings me to, you know, a quote that, that, that Ronald Goldman says about the trauma, that there is, there is evidence um, that there's increased pain responses six months later, ultimately PTSD and, and, and indications of lasting neurological damage, um, you know, studies where certain infants are, are responding jarringly or hysterically to pain while most of them are fine and they're exclusively boys and it's exclusively a subset of boys and what do they all have in common they were all circumcised yes and uh just to let the the listeners know like the top reasons why circumcision kills boys it's uh there's an infection uh there's severe blood loss and sometimes the baby is screaming so loud from the pain that his lungs collapse and he dies Yes. And the blood loss is something I see very frequently on Facebook. I mean, there are a lot of genital autonomy advocates on Facebook and they're sharing these horror stories all the time. And, and the parents are too. I mean, I've seen plenty of them who are saying, you know, I did this and it wasn't necessary. And now he's, he might lose his life. We're fighting for his life. I've seen, you know, far more than, than just a few where they have a picture of his diaper and there's just blood coming out from everywhere. And they only need to lose two ounces of blood as an infant. I don't know how much they have in them. You could Google that and find that and figure out pretty quickly, but they don't need to lose very much of it to die. for it to be a, for it to be a significant enough minority for them to, to experience a fatality. And you know, that vaccine uh, injury database, the VAERS database in the States that you can report your vaccine. Injury yes. to. And it, Harvard did a, a study and only 1% of all the cases are actually reported. You got to wonder if it's the same for circumcision. I'm sure that, the actual number of deaths and and blood, the blood and infection, all these things is way higher, astronomically higher than what's reported. Because there's no legal requirement for obstetricians or doctors to report these fatalities due to circumcision. They may say there was a fatality and that it was, you know, some it's kind of you know, new. Yeah, it was a neonatal death of some kind, but in general or generally speaking, but it wasn't the circumcision. It wasn't the fact that we severed blood vessels and he bled out mm -hmm. um but yeah we'll get through some of these quotes from uh from this expert on, on circumcision trauma so newborns feel not only similar but greater pain than adult subjects the research indicates that this is predicated on scientific literature which again don't take my word for it don't take will's word for it go get the book go read circumcision the hidden trauma by ronald goldman and as we've already mentioned, at best, uh, anesthetic only temporarily and partially reduces the pain and sometimes does not even do that. Mm -hmm. Some infants do not cry because they go into shock. You know, a lot of parents will say, my, I was there with my babies. You're ridiculous that you're, you're advocating for this issue. My baby didn't even cry or he slept through it. That's a projection of an adult onto an infant. Mm -hmm. It's not what's actually going on. It's, a, it's your own mentation of an interpretation of what's going on. That baby is in extreme shock. And he can't escape physically because he's strapped to a circumstraint 
at mm-hmm. four points being strapped down his arms and legs with his groin splayed open and a metal clamp on it. So he escapes psychologically because the pain is so excruciating. It's all, that's all that they can do other, other than scream until their lungs collapse. Um, and so this is the, this is the kicker for, for those of us who are living with this trauma and, and I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on healing it. Um, but it's important to know it because things left to themselves tend to go from bad to worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, behavioral changes after routine infant circumcision for, for infants, uh, altered sleep patterns, altered activity levels in mother and infant interactions, extended crying. You know, I've seen TikToks of, of mothers joking, like in kind of complaining that their baby won't stop crying from after his circumcision. And we're just, all of us intactivists are like, well, that's because you, you did this to him. It was so traumatic and painful. Of course, he's crying for weeks on end. Yeah. Um, disruptions in feeding and bonding. Uh, you know, the mother, the maternal infant bond is, is permanently destroyed in some way because of this. I mean, the, the, the level of distrust that is, is perpetuated by or, or caused by this, the surrendering of your baby to a doctor who cuts off parts of, parts of his genitals is very severe and immediately seen again in the, in the bonding of the infant to the mom. Withdrawal and inability to communi- communicate their needs, even in infancy. Increased pain responses, like I said, months or even years later. Mm-hmm. And the lasting sexual harms, which again is the implication for, for us mature men who are, who are circumcised in infancy or in childhood. Removal of the most sensory tissue, weakening of the sensory tissue that is left. It's, it's like seeing in black and white instead of in color. Uh, with respect to sexual sensation, you're more likely to have erectile dysfunction and orgasm difficulties, as well as premature ejaculations. You're four and a half more time, uh, times more likely to develop um, the use of, of erectile dysfunction drugs. Female partners are more likely to experience pain and problems with sexual fulfillment. Several medical societies recognize the long-term psychological effects of routine infant circumcision, and they tend to manifest as, as following. Anger towards parents and others, sense of loss, shame, fear, fear, distrust, grief, relationship difficulties, depression, sexual anxieties, reduced emotional expression and empathy, low self-esteem, and avoidance of in- intimacy. And all of these things that should be important to note are, are usually subconscious. You're usually not aware of this. And, and if you even are aware of it, you may not know that the root of it was your, of your infant circumcision because we don't have any mental conception of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's one, one point that's important to note with respect to the trauma. We as, as adult uh, homo sapiens and tend to make this false assumption that if you don't remember it, it was not traumatic. Right, um, which is what that rabbi said to the people on the Zoom call. Right, right, and it's it's human beings are very very poor at discerning truth from falsehood without science or something like kinesiological testing, yeah. and 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 so this is our bias, it's our assumption. We need to assess the, the scientific literature on trauma, on circumcision trauma, which is abundant. Um, and no, uh, no medical association. No yes. medical association in the world currently uh, recommends routine infant circumcision. So even the medical community is waking up. Yes, and I don't think that the AAP any longer rec- uh, recommends it. Um, you know, they'll still perpetuate all the lies and medical fraud, mm-hmm. um, which I think I have addressed the UTIs, but I failed to address the rest of them. So we'll do that now as well. Okay. STDs, um, infants, 
the infant circumcision rate in America, for instance, is higher than in any other first world country. And yet we have the highest contraction rate of STDs than any other first world country, proving at the, ver at the bare minimum that there is no major preventative quality of, routining, uh, of routinely circumcising infants preventative for STDs that is ditto for HIV. And then penile cancer, this is one of my favorites because it is so ridiculous where it came from. Um, it, it was from an AAP report. I don't know if it was 2017 or 2018. I know it was featured and brought on stage in the, um, the play, the one man show at Harvard, uh, Eric Klopper's Sex and Circumcision in American Love Story. He brought the physical report on stage and he said their justification for, penile, for reduction of penile cancer is that it takes anywhere between 300 individual circumcisions and 900,000 circumcisions to prevent a single case of penile cancer, which means that they have no fucking idea how many circumcisions it actually takes to prevent penile cancer, which is made even more ridiculous by the fact that it exclusively affects elderly men. So there's no need to infringe upon the human rights of the basic human rights of, of infant boys to prevent this incredibly rare cancer. Again, another laughable a feature of, of this supposed claim. There are fewer than 20,000 cases in the States of, of penile cancer. And yeah, it's a scary thing. Cancer is scary. Um, but there are things you can do other than amputating it preemptively and destroying his sex life permanently. Exactly. 20,000 may sound like a lot, but relative to 320 million, it's a speck in the water. It's and very rare. All the babies who die or are killed or maimed or botched from the circumcision or have their whole penis cut off right. far more than this right. supposed risk, which could not actually be, uh, you know, verified. Right. Right. And, and one thing we haven't said, I think fundamentally is that, you know, genital, genital autonomy and genital integrity, the ability to keep your entire, your entire genitals and, and cosmetically or, or supposedly medically, you know, preemptively reduce risk reductions. Um, it should be up to the person who has those genitals. Yeah, uh, it's if, the if basic the human right. 18 and they go, hey, you know, when I'm old, I really want to just do everything I can to prevent penile cancer, even though exactly. the evidence is sketchy. I'll, you can get a circumcision then. Exactly. You really think that's for you. Of course. Because guys course. our age, I have not met one guy our age, and I've spoke to hundreds of men about this issue, and not one of them has said, I'm happy I was circumcised. Most of them say, I, yeah, I was circumcised and I wish I wasn't. That's that's like 99.9% .9 of the people I speak with. Every once in a while, there'll be an older man, like somebody maybe in his 60s to 80s who say, I, you know, I'm happy I was circumcised. It's cleaner, you know, but I very rarely do I meet a man around our age who actually says they were happy that they were circumcised. Actually, I've never met a single man who said, who said that ever Yeah, um, in, in our age group. Right, right. And I will say that the younger generations and there's there's polling data to, to, to illustrate this perfectly. Um, they're, they're more and more against circumcision and more and more unhappy that they're, they were circumcised than their older counterparts. And, and, um, but I, there, there are anomalies um, and outliers that I've seen in my content of, of young men who are happy about their circumcision, but it's not happiness. It's blissful ignorance. Right. If they were, if they were educated on the anatomy and function and inherent frankly priceless value of this part of their genitals uh, they were and consequently the harms of removing it and ablating that tissue they might not be very happy about it and if they were they would be it would be in spite of reality yeah. and um, we're going to get to a little bit right here uh, about why that is Ronald Goldman really points out precisely 
why that is. Um, but of course, you know, we're at the perfect point in my list of, of, of his quotes here. Many men's, many circumcised men wish they had been given a choice at a later time rather than having it forced onto them when they were too young to defend themselves or resist. And what, what results is post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, and, and undeniable markers of that avoidance of feelings or stimuli related to the trauma. So that could be that could be sexual intercourse. It could be intimacy with your partner at large. It could be simply hearing about the subject of circumcision. You know, men might say when we're talking about circumcision that they're fine with it, but they're very angry. They're red in the face. They subconsciously cover their genitals. There are many different things that illustrate why, or, or they're saying that it was a good thing. They, they seek out studies to, to, to say that it was a good thing. This is all symptom, undeniable symptom of post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of course, a tendency toward anger. I mean, it, it, can, it can, of course, breed subconscious anger in men. Um, you know, imagine if this happened to an adult. Once again, it was forced down and had the most erogenous part of his body ablated and seared off with, with that high-pressure clamp. Of course, he'd be traumatized. Of course, he, would, he might be angry or very scared um, and have all of these symptoms that exhibit all these symptoms of, of post-traumatic stress disorder. And we think that infants, it's different and, and it's not. I mean, they, they have, it's very easy to understand this too. Their physical body, their brain is firing. You know, there's activity in their neurological system. Mm-hmm. And of course that can be damaged. I mean, if, if they had blunt force trauma to their, their skull, mm-hmm. they could very likely experience some kind of brain trauma and that would have lasting effects. Same thing for experiencing torture, torturous sensations uh, with having unnecessary amputations with of sensitive tissue without anesthetic or with ineffective anesthetic. And have you heard of um, Dr. Pollock? I have not. Circumcision specialist in Vancouver, and he's got Mm. Pollock clinics, one here and one in Victoria. And there's often um, intactivist demonstrations outside of his offices, as there rightfully should be. But he, yeah. he promulgates his technique and he speaks at universities to talk about his specific, he calls it the Pollock technique, very narcissistic. Mm. Um, and he, I went to his website because I was curious and there was a, a demonstration video and he literally circumcised this, this baby within like, seemed like two minutes. And the baby was like sucking on sugar thing or something. And he was playing music and he was speaking in this sort of hypnotic voice and the baby didn't cry and it looked painless. But as in yoga, we say our issues are in our tissues. So just as you said before, just because the baby wasn't crying in certain rare instances, apparently with most of public circumcisions, what's going on in terms of the trauma to the actual tissues and how is that relating to the brain when at face value, the baby's sucking on the sugar thing and, and it looks like it's all fine. A very important anecdote. Yeah, it's a very appropriate anecdote to, to interject there. Absolutely. Because that's what Pollock would say if he was listening to this. Well, my circumcision is painless. Precisely. Yeah, it's, it's irrelevant how much of the, the pain you reduce, there's going to be trauma. And then it, it, there's also the trauma if he, if, if he, if he discovers this later. I mean, it, it was reawakened for me, for sure. And you're made more aware of it now, how it's been manifesting every day since, since it happened. And usually it happens before day three. 
mm-hmm. at least in America, it does. In the Muslim world, they tend to do it at later ages, like five, six, seven, eight. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Let's see if, if I have a few more. A few more. Oh, this, this is this is like the crux of why it's so difficult to reach men who've been circumcised. The, the, these bits about trauma here. Avoidant symptoms explain why there has been virtually no public discussion of circumcision by those affected because they won't even broach the subject. My father, who was circumcised, as my grandfather was, he's 53 years old. And I brought this to him as I'm talking to you now, very respectfully, very, very as consciously as I could Mm -hmm. and as compassionately as I could. And I said, you know, this is very important to me. Could you watch this video? It was Eric Klopper's video. And he said, I'm not watching that. And, and then he threatened to block me. And so I said, I'll, I'll do it for you. On and, social and media? Hope, oh, no, just in my, my phone. Oh. And um, yeah, and so we, we actually don't communicate any longer about this. I'm open to, you know, I'm not going to be unforgiving to him if he wanted to talk about it later. But my point ultimately being, people are, will, are, are so avoidant of this issue who've been circumcised themselves and their trauma is is so strong their subconscious trauma that they're willing literally willing to sever ties with their with their sons when they bring it to them and they say their sons who had the courage to um i'm not being prideful here i just happen to have the courage to see the truth of this and want to share it with the people who failed to protect me not to make them feel shame but to to help them understand further why i am the way they am why the why the i am the way i am as well as yeah. why they are the way they are in the case of our fathers who who suffered it as well they get so fucking triggered this reminds yeah. me of the issue of of childhood vaccination which is a very controversial topic uh, in addition to circumcision but as i've said before the the cult behind mandatory circumcision is the same cult behind mandatory masks and vaccinations it's the same frequency of energy yeah um, absolutely it's, it's the same satanic cult behind it and so like I was vaccine injured at six months of age and I, like you with your circumcision, I was like a dog to a bone, like trying to figure out what the fuck happened. Yeah, I lined up yeah. all my baby pictures. I came out of my mother's womb with perfect looking eyes. They were both looking straight ahead. I looked very uh, kipper and healthy in all my baby pictures up until six months. And then it looked like I became severely autistic. My eyes went all skew G. They were not looking in the same direction. I looked right. like I had been dropped multiple times. <laughs> And right. I was like, what the fuck happened? And I asked my mom and I was like, what, like, how come like I was born with perfect looking eyes and then all of a sudden I look like I'm severely autistic and I got hit in the head. She's like, I don't know. She's just like, the doctor said it would maybe happen because you didn't have very good, good vision. And, and they, he, he predicted that, you know, this would happen. I'm thinking, well, of course he did. Strabismus is actually very common after the MMR vaccine. Um, and, and of course, doctors are so brainwashed, they're never going to make that connection, even though you could go on to PubMed as a doctor and just type in strabismus, which is lazy eye, vaccines, brain inflammation, encephalitis, vaccines, seventh nerve palsy, third nerve palsy, the nerves leading to the eyes getting fucked from the vaccines. You can easily type it in, but are the doctors going to do that? No, because it's too much cognitive dissonance for them. We should but talk I, more about that because I actually, I had a lazy eye as well, right out the womb. Oh, interesting. Not out the, probably not out the womb, but following my, my leaving of the hospital. The first set two yes. months, maybe? Or it could maybe have been vitamin, because... Maybe the vitamin K injection when they, they give into your foot when you're right, right when you're born, you never know. It's hard to say because, again, I was in the NICU for eight days, but I, I had a, I mean, my lazy eye looked at least as severe as yours, if not worse. And I had glasses from, from day one, pretty much. 
Well, uh, as I soon had as I surgery on mine, it, it looked way worse. This is what it used to look like. Watch this. Okay. So this is what it yeah. used to look like. Right. Okay. So yeah, mine was the same thing. Yeah. Mine was the yeah. same thing. And so yeah. now I, what they did was, okay, so six months. So what I did was I was like you, I called BC Children's Hospital and I asked for all of my medical records. Right. And they're like, they wouldn't give it to me. So I had to fill out all these forms. It took like three months to finally get a mail it package of all these medical doctor notes and, and, and uh, records of surgeries and what have you. And I lined up, I got the BC vaccination schedule, which interestingly has stayed pretty much the same in British Columbia, whereas in the States, it's astronomically increased. Like babies born in the States now get like dozens and dozens and dozens more vaccines than they did oh. in the eighties. But thankfully in BC, it's not quite as, as exacerbated, but still I lined up the BC Canadian vaccination schedule for infants with all my baby pictures that I had with all of the doctor's visits to the opto uh, the ophthalmologist. And uh, sure enough, right after the uh, six months uh, slew of vaccinations, that's when the eyes went cross within a few days. And I asked my mom and to, to sort of connect to your point about your dad getting triggered. God bless my mom. She's such an amazing mom. But I think when I questioned her about this, it made her feel like I was saying she was a bad parent. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that wasn't my intention. And so no, I, I explained not. that to her and, and she said, like, what did you want me to do? Like, I, I wanted you to be able to go to school and in order to go to school, you had to get the vaccinations. I said, no, like, I'm grateful. You're such a great mom. It's just, I'm trying to figure out what happened because in my mind, you don't just one day wake up and your eyes are all fucked. Yes. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to figure out the fucking yes. reason. Yeah. And so I actually, uh, Inter I got in contact with a child specialist developmental opt optometrist based out of the States. Her name is Dr. Mm -hmm. Julie Steinhauer at visionforlifeworks.com. And I asked her about this issue and she I said, is it like, am I the only one this has happened to? This is before I discovered the PubMed studies showing that it's happened mm -hmm. to many children, especially the MMR, the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine. And uh, she, she said, it's actually relatively common She's like, I try to stay neutral on vaccines in front of my patients because I don't want to trigger the parents. But oftentimes a parent will bring in their child after the child has received a vaccination or a bunch of vaccinations and the eyes will have gone severely crossed. And the, the mom's like, I don't know what happened. And then, then Dr. Steinhauer will be like, well, did you, vac did you have your kid vaccinated in the last few days? And they're like, well, yeah, yesterday, we took him in for his vaccinations and she's like, okay. And she doesn't say anything. She just tries to give the child exercises to try to align his eyes. Right. Um, and I asked her like, how does it happen? And she said, it's because there is encephalitis from the adjuvants in the vaccine, as well as whatever the active viral agent is can actually go into the nerves leading to the eyes and fuck them and cause them to become inflamed. And it can cause the brain as a whole to swell. And I looked at the baby pictures after the vaccinations at six months. And sure enough, like you can see that poor little William, his brain went from being a normal size. And you can see in the pictures, it's just like exploding out of my skull. And I just look right. like, oh, like no right. wonder the eyes are crossed. Just everything's just inflamed up there. And so people have to be aware. It's like, guys, I asked my dad, who's a, who's a doctor and God bless him. They're both amazing parents. And this is not to, to shame them anyway. This is just what was done at the time and what is still done. Uh, you know, vaccinations are common. Most people vaccinate their kids, right? 
but they, my dad is a medical doctor and he did not know all the adjuvants in vaccines. And I went to the CDC website and I printed them out and I just showed them to him. He's like, wow, I did not, I did not know that. And he's, he went to medical school for 13 years. But oh, there you go. Yeah. Medical doctors are not actually taught about like what's actually in vaccinations. They're just taught that vaccinations are good. So if you're getting advice on vaccinations from your medical doctor, realize that they've been indoctrinated by the pharmaceutical company who is no longer liable. There's a great movie. This is what tipped me off to this whole vaccination issue um, was the movie 1986, The Act by Dr. Andrew Wakefield. And um, they talk about how in 1986 in the States, the government made it so that the pharmaceutical companies were no longer responsible for vaccine injuries. They didn't have to pay any damages legally. And so it's like, if the company's not liable for the injuries and you go into PubMed and see there's tons of injuries from vaccines, you gotta be a bit wary about what's going on, especially when you realize germ theory is fraudulent. Yes, and, and ditto for, for circumcision as well. I mean, they, they, these doctors have been indoctrinated and you know, people will, will say on social media, commenting on, on our videos, like, you're not a doctor, you can't say these things about vaccines or, or about circumcision. But it's like they fail to realize that medical malpractice is the third leading cause of death behind I heart disease and cancer. And, and most of them, with respect to the issue of circumcision, most American urologists, pediatricians, and obstetricians are ignorant of basic penile anatomy and function. Yeah, basic. they're all circumcised. Yes, and, and you could go to a place like doctorsopposingcircumcision.org and find plenty of American doctors who share the same attitude and knowledge uh, about routine infant circumcision and its harms that all of Europe, all of South America recognizes as the truth. You yeah. could also read a book by Dr. Um, Paul Fleiss, MD, a book called What You May Not Know or What Your Doctor May Not Tell You About Circumcision. He's an MD. Um, and you'll learn about the anatomy and function. You'll learn that, that about intact care. You'll learn that forcible retraction that causes 99% of issues and yeah. the vast majority can be healed non-surgically. All of these things from a, from a medical doctor. Yes. And even with what happened to me with the eyes, they ended up doing a very invasive surgical procedure at a year old, a year and four okay. months to be specific. And I was reading the medical notes and they said, well, William, you know, we can tell his parents really care about him and he looks very suspicious of what's going on. This is right before they were putting me to sleep to fuck with my eyes. And I actually YouTubed a video of the surgery I had. It was called a, it was for esotropia and it was called a bilateral, bimedial excision or something. And I, I typed that in, I wish I hadn't. It's horrible. Ooh. They put you to sleep and then they put things on your eyes and then they cut the musculature off your eyes. It's like Frankenstein. And then they just try to kind of sew it in different places to try to get your eyes to go back straight. And do you have it. i'm sorry continue oh that's okay they they did it on both eyes okay. it gave me a slight cosmetic improvement so if i look at people with my left eye this eye just turns in a tiny bit but if okay. i look at you with my right eye then you can see it's quite it's quite drastic right and i can't see very well out of this eye so anyway the point to tie into that is like i my parents didn't realize that even if you get strabismus for whatever reason, whether it's from a vaccination or whatever, you can actually correct it nine times out of 10 with what's called vision therapy, which is like occupational therapy for your eyes. And so I asked Dr. Julie about this and she's like, yeah, like 
Sometimes if the strabismus is really severe, she'll recommend a surgery, but nine times out of 10, she can actually give the children eye exercises, which I've started to do now to help to teach the eyes to come back into the correct alignment. I would be interested in hearing about that because I still suffer from uh, the lazy eye and, and anytime they're never completely straight, you can still see the left one wants to look at the right one. What they did right. to correct to correct mine was they just put me in glasses with bifocals and they would put a patch that I'd often rip off in, in adolescence over over the the strong one so that it would it would force the the lazy one to exercise but i yeah. rarely used those the, the bifocals really straightened it out but not 100 by any means and uh, uh, supposedly a consequence of the, the the corrective lenses um i'm now nearsighted so i can't see far away but i mean it could have just been whatever caused the strabismus in the first place are you wearing contacts right now i'm not I'm okay just Screen's pretty blurry, but you know, yeah. I don't really need you're, to see. I can see your face well enough. Yeah, your eyes are quite are quite straight. I can see the left one is turned in slightly. It's similar to mine. Yeah, yeah. The, the way that mine looks when I look at you with my left eye. Right. Um, I can do the whole like. Oh yeah, you can do look that too. Way. Yeah. And you you didn't have surgery on yours? I didn't. No. Okay. Yeah, it seems like we have a sort of a similar skew on our on our uh, alignment. And so one thing you can do, this is kind of a little bit off topic from circumcision, but it just shows mm. there's different ways to deal with things. You don't have to fucking yes. cut things. You don't have to yes. be a fucking Frankenstein doctor, you people. You, you can bring the eye that's turned in. So it looks like it's your left eye that's slightly turned in. It is. So with your left eye, like bring your hand to your left periphery and just bring more of your consciousness to that hand and just allow that left eye to come out a little bit to the left. And that's, that's one way that you can kind of start to train it to go out. There's also something called syntonic photo light therapy, where you wear different colored goggles and they retrain the brain to, um, to be able to see more clearly and, and to have more binocular vision. Um, patching is sometimes used. There's also a string called a um, Brock string. And it's this long string with balls on it. And you tie it to a doorknob far away. And then you hold the string on your nose, kind of like that. And there's these little balls along it. And then you teach both eyes to look at the near ball, a little bit further away ball, farther away ball. And if you're doing it right, there's a crisscross. So it's like that. And, and you see basically the ball and then an X. And that's how you know that both eyes are looking at exactly the right place. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting with the first method that or modality that you mentioned, because I would do that sub like intuitively you know in teenagehood when it would be really uh, annoying for me when it would start to go in I, I would like put my hand over here or put something over here and like try to strengthen it and I was told with the patching that you know by my optometrist or, or ophthalmologist whatever I had uh, that it no longer works in maturity if you were to patch but I, I can't help but think that that's bullshit that's what um, they that's their belief system it's just like you can't right and they're passing that belief system on to their patients and consequently inhibiting them from actually using effective modalities to heal non-surgically there's a great book that you might find inspiring it's called fixing my gaze i can't remember who it's by but she was the wife of some nasa astronaut which isn't a very good sign but <laughs> but um, <laughs> right. but um she seems she seems legit somebody linda berry i think her name is 
I will write it down. Yeah, she's like a, she's some kind of scientist. And so she really believed in what her ophthalmologist said, like, you're way too old. She had like four strabismus surgeries as a child to try to fix it. Yeah. So she has tons of scarring. So I'm grateful I only had one because I have less scarring. So it's a little bit easier to to sort of cultivate that alignment. I am very lazy with the vision therapy. And I find, I would imagine it might be similar to restoring. It brings up a lot of emotion. Like I'm angry that I was, you know, uh, vaccinated, that my brain became so inflamed that the surgery was done. There's even scientific research showing that um, putting a baby under general anesthetic can fuck it up for life and and really uh, do a number on its ability to socialize and higher rates of autism and just all these things. So I, I still have like a schism in my psyche. So when I'm doing my vision therapy exercises, I get so angry. So I'm, I'm working through that. Uh, but it does deter me from practicing my vision therapy as much as I should. But anyway, right. this book, Fixing My Gaze, Linda Berry, I think her name is, she, um, she was able to actually, she had no stereopsis. She was only looking through one eye like, like I was and like maybe you are to some degree. But she was able to actually train her eyes to actually have almost perfect stereo vision from having none and being told by the ophthalmologist community that it was impossible because as they told you, you know, mm. it only works when you're younger, but that's actually not true. Um, and there's also a supplement you can take called astaxanthin. Um, it's got high amounts of beta carotene in it. It's, a, it's sort of a reddish, brownish marine algae. Okay. And it, like when I take that, I actually just ordered some from Purium. You can use my code urbanyogi at ishoppurium.com uh, to get 25% off your order. But it's really good. Like when I take that, I just, I get more crystal clear. And it's almost like the eye gets a little bit more energy to just come into a more correct position. Mm. Sometimes Did you, you say it was astraxanthin or astraxanthin? Uh, Asta. A-S- Asta. A-S-T-A-X-A-N-T-H-A-N. Astaxanthin. Okay. And the one that Purium makes that's really strong is called Superxanthin. S-U-P-E-R-X-A-N-T-H-A-N. Um, so there's certain things you can do. So when I combine the, the vision therapy with good daily habits and spending less time looking at screens and more time like looking into the distance and being in nature and just calming myself down and doing breath work, then I can see better. And the vision in this eye is far better. Uh, I do sometimes wear a contact and, and this eye, when I was small was like a plus 6.75, which is really like, I needed really thick glasses here and then Mm -hmm. hardly anything here. So it looked like I had this massive eye. It was very embarrassing as a child because it was like, um, (laughs) And I wasn't even really looking through it. Uh, So I did all this vision therapy over the last few years, and I was able to bring my prescription in this eye down from a 6.75 to a 3.75. And now I'm down to a 2.5 contact lens in this eye. So the combination of astaxanthin with the vision therapy and just forcing myself to use the eye, like sometimes when I'm reading a book, I'll cover the the eye that's stronger, like patching. And I'll use, I'll really relax this eye. And I'm like, whoa, so much of this is spiritual. Because when I look at you, I can't even see anything. I just see a blurry sort of face. But then if I like just really relax my eye and like forgive the doctors for fucking me up. (laughs) Yep, yep. And just like kind of, I start like just down here and I kind of look at you. I really just relax my brain. Because a lot of it's like tension. 
So if I yes. just let go of the tension, now I can actually see your face and your eyes. And then I slowly train it to come back into the middle of the eyeball. And I can see you far better than when I was initially uh, looking at you. So there, it's an aspect of, yes, the nerves were damaged, but then to quell that is, is, a, is a teaching that eye that it's okay, you're safe now, you're not gonna be cut into, uh, you know, you're okay, I got you, you're doing a good job and just relaxing it and, and relaxing all the tension around the eye helps, helps it to see better. Yes, and, and it is a spirit, you're right, it is a spiritual um, a form of, of healing. It's a holistic, I should say. It's body, mind, and spirit. And, uh, you know, you can, there's a great book on that called Healing and Recovery that, that Sasha Lazarev, uh, our, our, our um, mutual friend, Alexander Lazarev, uh, turned me on to by David R. Hawkins, MD, oh, cool. PhD. Um, and in that book, he talks about how he wore glasses for decades, uh, for six, 50, 60 years. And, um, simply by taking them off for six weeks and surrendering to the possibility that he could never see properly again one day healed his vision yes and it was the it was the mental surrendering and, and part of that as you alluded to there are many steps to it because you have to ascend the, the, the levels of consciousness you know first courage courage to take those glasses off acceptance yeah. of, of what happened to you optimism that something's going to change realizing that this is a reasonable thing to do and having understanding for what you're doing and then getting into these loving and forgiving states, forgiving yes. the people who, 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 who inflicted this onto you and, and left you with this issue. And, you know, that's, that is something that, that is like probably neglected in the restoration community with respect to non-surgical restoration for circumcision, physical trauma. Uh, some guys can't even do it because they, they bring up, it brings up, it evokes so many negative emotions for yeah. me, I, I definitely have experienced that from time to time. It's like, God, this could have been so easily avoided. It was just, if they had all the information, it's all this mentation of your own grief and you had no hand in, in, in making it happen. You're just kind of torturing yourself. But the thing to remind yourself is, is just that what's the alternative? You know, your glands carotenizing every day until you die, you know, yeah. subpar sex through your 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 prime and and for the rest of your life um you know it's it's there there are many simple ways to remind yourself of how reasonable and logical it is to continue restoring and for me it was you know as the day i started uh i, I didn't stop for six months and the only reason why i took hiatuses was to deliberate between regenerate waiting for regeneration or, or continuing to restore. And we'll, we'll get to that when we start talking about it. So you've gone back to restoring? Because I remember you were waffling after you heard about Brendan Murata's choice to just go. For yes. Gen. Yes. You know, and, and I'll be talking with, um, with Alexander this week, and who's, as we both know, a very spiritually developed person and uh, adept at, at kinesiological testing and what i'm really curious about personally for myself is how much of the sensation is restored and and more important than that you know does it preclude you from from having uh the foragen surgery he's already done that and, and the foragen community has expressed to us that they are committed 100 to having a specialized procedure for restored men and it could be as simple as just amputating the the nascent prep use that you that you regrew and then implanting the regenerated one complete with its structures and nerves and everything mm. um so 
it's not a matter of compatibility. I would say that my neuroticism, as well as other men who are restoring, is is really fixated on how will it be different? Because if you if you take that scar line and reposition it to the glands, you're now cutting from somewhere farther down your 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 shaft or prep use, as opposed to merely making an incision on the scar line and implanting what they need to implant. But it's really not logical because if you're going to make an assumption predicated on zero evidence whatsoever that it could be worse for you, you could do the same thing and say that it might be better for you to have the extra skin when comes time for the procedure, mm-hmm. five, 10, 20 years down the line, whenever foragen succeeds. And, and, you know, for those of us who can restore, who have enough skin to, to, to do that. And I've, I've known some very tight men who've still restored. So it's possible for the vast majority of us, barring some extraordinary botch. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or if you have no mucosal skin left, I've heard of some men, I don't know if it was you who alluded me to that. There are some men who, who were cut in such a way that they have no mucosa left intermucosa. So if they were to stretch, they would be recovering it with just numb, effectively numb shaft skin. Yeah. Um, and, but, but if you, if you do that, um, I lost my train of thought. That, <laughs> I feel- that- that all is that is that's all on par and yeah you know it's it's the it's the it's for me it's always about the vibration i like how you, mm. you bring up david hawkins work and i and i know yes. alec is really into his work i've read his book power versus force and i've read his book letting go which i think is also really good i'm gonna have to read yes. healing and recovery because literally when you read these books your vibration goes up 100 and, and it's like when i'm looking at things with my eye that was so damaged it's almost like sometimes I'll psych myself out. So maybe I'll get to a higher vibration. And I'm like, whoa, it's like, oh my, it's like riding a bike for the first time. I'm like, holy shit. I went from not being able to see a fucking thing out of this eye. And now I can actually read. And then right when I have that thought, it gets blurry again. I'm like, oh, boo. You know, like, so I, I wonder how that ties in with the whole restoration process. And, 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 and even the, the belief or the vibration that will allow the four gen, you know, procedure to happen sooner than later. Like, mm. it's just amazing how the universe works and, you know, how even certain family members, they used to sort of be super judgmental, you know, about uh, certain things. And then once I stopped pushing, then it seemed like they started to wake up. And, and so it's like that dance between pushing for change and living as if it's already happened, I guess. Right, right. And that's, you know, uh, it struck me as a very wise attitude to take when Brendan Morata had said, and and we're going to do a podcast on this specific subject soon, because it it struck me as as such a wise attitude to have. He he restored non-surgically to the point where he no longer had tight, painful erections. And then he stopped because he, as a, as a, as a relatively spiritually developed person who's done zazen meditation and, and many other th- modalities to heal trauma and become a more conscious person mm-hmm. he wanted to he didn't want non-surgical restoration to become an impediment for him uh, getting into full alignment with full regeneration of all of the structures of everything that was his b- birthright to experience um you know I, and and you know i kind of gravitated toward that for a minute I think that I'd rather non-surgically restore in the meantime, if there's no reason not to, Mm -hmm. again, if there's no reason to fear that the surgery will be any different for us with 4Gen, because you, you will recover at least half of your sensation, I would say conservatively, Um, you know, subjectively men who are circumcised as adults 
say that you recover anywhere between 70 and 90% of the sensation, probably predicated on how much tissue they removed, as well as if they removed the frenulum or not. Mm -hmm. And of course, this is subjective and it's from a very small sample size because the, the number of men who get circumcised as adults voluntarily is so small and even more infinite, infinitesimally smaller than that is those who end up going on to restore painstakingly for years. And rather often, I, I think of one interview that comes to mind of a man who was telling his story from, from intact to, to age 21, cut for social reasons because it was a goal from him, for him in his young adulthood or, or adolescence being in this progenital cutting culture to go get a circumcision. That was a goal of his. And so at 21, he did it. And it took him eight to 10 years for the glands to carotenize so severely that he lost 80 to 90% of his sensation. He went 30 years without even knowing that non-surgical restoration was a thing. And he, he, he happened to find Ron Lau, maker of the TLC tugger, one of the, the OG devices in the community, um, and, and started to restore 30 years later. So this, we're already 40 years into the future, takes him another four and a half years to restore his relatively loose cut because the doctor knew he shouldn't have been circumcised uh, and kept, kept it loose. He probably still had his frenulum. So that's another thing to take into consideration. And so ultimately he said it restored somewhere between 90 and 95% of his sensation conservatively. But I don't trust that because 50 years between his experiential um, recollection of being intact and being sexually active, you know, it's probably less than that. Um, you know, I've, I've been in, in contact with men who've been circumcised very recently, you know, months ago who have gotten into non-surgical restoration and they'll be able to tell us, you know, they'll be able to tell us how it compares, uh, more so granted they didn't carotenize up to, um, what would I say, uh, to the point that, that, that we were, who were cut at infancy and had mm -hmm. decades of carotenization before we even started to to engage in sexual activity yeah. um but but the bulk of the sensation that returns is from decarotenization of the glands as well as the inner mucosa and the interaction of those two anatomical structures is where it sounds like and you can you can add to this uh, as, as an intact man yourself that's where the bulk of the sensation is is really occurring in the frenulum in the in the the glands in the interaction with the mucosal glands and the inner mucosa like the foreskin going over the and... foreskin interacting with the glands itself of course yeah. there are some men who have an intact frenulum let's say 50 percent of it is is there but that's not it, it's not always that way and i've yeah. even heard men i yeah, train you... men and myself to focus more on the base of the shaft because in chinese medicine that's the kidneys okay and you can okay. never really overcharge the kidneys and, and so the, the, the glands is very sensitive, obviously, especially if you're, you're gliding it over. So usually like when we're, cause I teach semen retention and learning how to separate orgasm from ejaculation. And it's, yeah, it, it is very sensitive and it, it, it almost like overheats cause the mushroom is kind of like the head in, in Chinese medicine. So it's like, if you're reaming on the head with the foreskin back and forth, you, you usually shoot right away. At least I do. So I usually focus at the base and I hardly even touch. I just keep the foreskin back and I just go back and forth at the base of the glands for most of sort of my, we call it solo cultivation in Chinese medicine because masturbation means pollution, whereas solo, solo cultivation is a more positive right. uh, no term. <laughs> masturbation okay. to pollute oneself, I think the Latin root literally means to pollute oneself. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, was I, one of the original reasons for, for mutilating babies.
Yeah. So, so all in all, what I'm saying is that your glands will decarotinize if you restore, if you, if you cover it, especially with mucosa, with that inner mucosa, the AKA inner skin, that's the lingo we use, but it's not just skin. Um, you know, it's, it's mucosal tissue. If you, if you grow enough to, to wrap your, your glands, it will decarotinize the, the beneficial microbiome, the, I forget how, I think it's 35 to 40 different bacteria species of beneficial bacteria will eat away that keratin and return it to its mucosal state. It'll, it'll never ever and revert the same way because again, you don't have the anchoring, the tethering of the foreskin to the Freenar band mm-hmm. and the sphincter-like Freenar band. But with the method of restoration that I rely on exclusively, we're using something called an O-ring. Um, once, once our prep use is long enough, usually... And this is different for every man because there's a massive variation in skin elasticity. But usually once you cover half of your glands, you can start to wear these silicone O-rings. You can get them from eBay, from foreskinrestore.com, probably Amazon. You you can find rubber ones from Home Depot or Lowe's, those those brick and mortar stores. But rubber tends to be more of an inflammatory um, or... or, yeah, agent that, that can result in rashes and things of that sort. So I would recommend the silicone ones Nice. and you have to play around with different sizes and anybody that's interested in learning about non-surgical restoration, check out my TikTok while it's still up at handmade foreskin. I have two at handmade foreskin, totally spelled out. And then the number four skin. Uh, my Snapchat is also handmade number four skin. If you're 18 years or older and you want to learn about the intricacies of this method, you know, hit me up because there's a lot to it. Um, it's very subtle and very simple, but there, there's subtle things that you need to know, especially as it pertains to wearing O-rings nocturnally. Do not wear O-rings nocturnally until you uh, talk to someone like myself who's, who's familiar with the practice. Is I've never been on Snapchat. Is that like um, kind of like Instagram, but you're allowed nudity? Um, I mean, that's effectively what Snapchat was conceived for, for sending nudes. I mean, ultimately, oh, okay. if we're being honest, because the, you click it and, it and it goes away after a certain set seconds, like one, two, three to 10, all the way to infinite now. I and see. if you screenshot, someone will see it or you save it to the chat, someone will see that you did that. Um, but it's also a great platform for messaging, just voice memos back and forth or text. Um, but what, the reason why I brought up the, the O-rings was because we're going to lack the sphincter-like Freenar band, which Mm. our scar line is never going to be as nerve dense or sensitive as that rich band. However, we can train our acroposh and the skin that hangs off of the glands to narrow with those O-rings, especially at night. Once we get those nocturnal erections, it will start to grow longitudinally as well as laterally and form the prepuce at the tip of the glands. This is all kind of speculative theory because of course, this has just been done by men for decades and, and really even millennia with the, the, the twine, like I mentioned earlier in our talk. Um, mm-hmm. But of course, there's no studies on foreskin restoration in the medical community or scientific community pretty much looks at it as, and, and decades ago, they would, because primarily gay men were interested in this, they thought that it was a, a mental illness that gay men typically had of feeling grief over their circumcision and that they were basically delusional. And you'll find in the restoration community, at least half of the, the men there, I would say, are gay. And that's simply because they're, they're in contact with more penises and in, in pornography in real life. And so they see different configurations and they become curious and they're more open to that information because they tend to also be, as you know, more um, 
you know, sexually liberal, let's say, and, and perhaps even more distrusting of religious practices. So yeah. they tend to be more open to the, the idea that they were harmed, um, especially in their genitals, and um, they tend to want that back. And they also, again, most importantly, they see other men who are intact experiencing pleasures and sensations and joys that they themselves have never experienced. Like for a lot of us straight men who, are, who have been with women, we think that they like sex more because they're, they're like shaking. They're like their eyes roll in the back of their head. It's like, yeah, men come with that too standard issue. If you weren't genitally mutilated at infancy. Exactly. Yeah. It's, and it's just so many multi-pronged approaches to, to cutting us off from our power. Our joy is our power. Our sexual energy is our life force energy. And circumcision is like a huge and horrific way that, that that is cut off. So yeah, thanks, Anthony, for all this, all these technologies and all this information. Um, it sounds like restoration is, is a good idea. You've, you've chosen that it's going to be something that you're going to do until 4Gen is up and running in terms of their procedure. And yeah. Yeah, I would say I'm I'm 80% there. You know, I still want to have a conversation with uh, with my spiritual teacher in in Sasha Lazarev, um, and uh, and then I'll come to a definitive decision following that talk. But I would say I'm very set on doing it. You know, I know too much at this point to not address it, and that's something that there's a great podcast, um, the Brendan Murata show, the the maker of American Circumcision documentary. Um, and he had an episode two years ago, two or three years ago with one Jordan Norell, who's also an expert on circumcision trauma and done, has done a lot of healing in regards to this. And uh, they discussed how for men, we tend to want to find a more yang as opposed to a yin solution to heal our trauma. We want to do something. We want to do something to fix the, the physical trauma. And uh, as opposed to, you know, doing a yin practice of meditation or release or like psychotherapy. They're, they all should be relied upon, but but for those of us who really want to do something about it, like I found that, of course, restoration can evoke when you're looking at your your mutilated genitals, sometimes 10, 15 times a day with the method that I use when we're doing short bursts of uh, frequent high tension manual stretches, and then putting the O-rings back on, you're constantly reminded, and of course, that that can evoke some trauma, but it's been more healing than I would say it's been uh, you know, reminding me of my trauma because we're, I'm doing something about it, you know, in moments where I had, um, reconsiderations of waiting for foragen, my mental state would decline for sure. My energy level would decline as well in the sense of, I was no longer taking matters into my own hands, literally to heal something that was done to me that I didn't, I wouldn't have chosen for myself. Yeah. And I think that's, that was the point I forgot to say about like the whole vibration power versus force level of consciousness it's like what level of consciousness we bring to the act of restoring foreskin is so yes. key. Are you yes. doing it like, oh my God, like I feel so much shame and trauma or can you do it in a way where it's like, I love my penis and I'm, I'm taking the power into my own hands, like a, an empowering intention behind the act of foreskin restoration, I think is so crucial. And there's a guy named Jalen Holmes who I um, co-facilitated yep. Yep. a sexual Kung Fu class with, and he's, the way he spoke about the restoration, I was like, have you gotten much results? And he's like, yeah, a little bit, but like the major result that I love is just this act of like self-care that I do every day. I'm like giving to myself. I'm so grateful, you know, for my penis. And, and just the way he spoke about it was like really high frequency, it felt. 
100%. And we actually uh, talked after you, you recommended him to me. And uh, he was using devices, but I've, I've gotten him on the, the, the manual train. I haven't talked to him in a while. I don't know if he's still doing it, but he went 100% to uh, the method that I use, which is Andre's method. If you go to Reddit, there's a, a subreddit with uh, 20,000 plus members um, called r slash foreskin underscore restoration. And you can find in the about section, the different methods, and you'll find Andre's account. His username is u slash hard acropostion. A-C-R-O-P-O-T-H-I-O-N, S-T-H-I-O-N, Acropostion. Um, and you will find that, you know, this man, he started restoring at 53 because he had severe ED just suddenly at 53, went to the doctor and went, then realized that upon what the doctor said, like this is common for circumcised men in, in, in later stages of life, uh, he started restoring on a whim with this method that, that he, he designed predicated on mitosis, um, how it's best incurred in the rat studies that were available, which is high tension, frequent sessions throughout the day. So once every waking hour, you're doing about three minutes of manual stretching, of, of pinching and pulling that scar line to the tip of the glands. Um, and then eventually, you know, after each session, you're supposed to feel a slight mild burning sensation, kind of like a mild icy hot and then you use those O-rings when you can, when you're long enough to retain and, and start to narrow that prep use as well as decarotinize your glands and intermucosa. Mm. And, um, you know, over the course of a year, he went from having zero glands coverage, but not being cut tightly as possible to having full glands coverage while flaccid. And wow. he looks perfectly intact now. He looks per like you've seen, I've, I've shown I've you his you results. Yeah, it's I shocking. Look. I mean, it looks like he was never circumcised. He was circumcised at infancy. And, um, you know, just to note, your prep piece isn't going to look like his. It's going to look like the way yours was supposed to, because there's a massive variation. You could go to acroposting.org. It's .org or .com. I think it might be .com. And you'll find a gallery of a, a variety of different prep uses. And, and he looks like his brothers look. His brothers, because he's Latino, his brothers and his grandfather and father are all intact. And he says he looks identical to them, even though he's lacking in a free in our band. Thankfully, his frenulum was left intact. Um, but again, even without that, he, spe he, he speculated that I would get back, uh, you know, I think he was saying like 90% of the sensation, whereas he maybe is at 95. But again, that's predicated on someone who was circumcised as an infant. I don't entirely trust it. I think it's more in the, in the neighborhood or ballpark of somewhere between 60 and 70%. But cool. that is still night and day difference. I mean, it will revolutionize your sex life. And whereas we've never had that 100% experience you know, it's, there's a little bit of something to, I hate to say that it's a benefit because it's kind of, it's what a lot of circumcision advocates use to justify us being like this and, and having this harm done to us. Like you, you never know what it's like, but it can help you a little bit in the way of having a restored prep use that isn't complete. Um, it's as complete as it was supposed to be. And it will revolution. You'll, you'll, seriously reduce your risk of having ED later in life and your sexual fulfillment will be through the roof. Um, you know, the, the, the crux of it is a circumcised penis becomes an on off switch as Marilyn Milos, one of the foremost and earliest activists in the movement has said, you go from having this intact, beautiful, natural, complete acceleration of sensation up to orgasm or climax. And now you just have this very dull, like again, black and white instead of color, not being able to taste food instead of tasting it, all the way to a, an orgasm, which is becomes a means to an end. 
And, you know, when I saw that first, that video, I realized that all of my sexual encounters were not worth it if I didn't orgasm. Like it became a means to an end. And that was the, the place we were trying to get to. And, and again, that can make uh, intercourse a lot more painful for our partners because we're, we have this dried stump of a penis that, that is purely receiving friction-like sensation as opposed to that sumptuous massage, that gliding action. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're trying to rapidly go back and forth with something that has probably somewhere between five and 20% of the sensation it was supposed to have. Yeah. And, and when you restore, you recover so much of that, that it's absolutely worth it. I've never met a man or heard from a man in a forum or, uh, who regretted restoring non-surgically apart from those who restore improperly. Mm. And when I say improperly, I mean, not being careful about where their scar line is, where that inner mucosa and outer skin meet. You have to find that scar line because if you use devices and you're not careful about what's at the very tip of the device, you can actually involute the outer skin and roll your, your scar line, invert the scar line into, bury it into your prepio. So now, now you have relatively numb outer or shaft skin in contact with your glands, which will in, inhibit maximum decarotinization of the glands as well as uh, having significantly less sensation than the inner mucosa that you otherwise could have grown. But if you if you use something like Andre's method, it's basically foolproof. You're not going to only grow outer skin. You will look intact and you will feel pretty darn close to intact, as close as you can until the regenerative medicine of 4Gen um, you know, is available or a company like that. And I don't know if, if it's getting late, if you want to, to end, end it at this point, and maybe uh, another time we'll talk about restoration and, and foragen and regeneration more in depth, or, or if I should talk for just a minute or two about what foragen's trying to do. Yeah, how about we, we'll finish with just what foragen's trying to do. Okay, yeah, so, so ultimately, uh, you know, foragen's a nonprofit again. organization um, trying to regenerate the, the human male prep or foreskin complete with its natural functions, lubrication, sensations, nerve endings, um, and whatnot, you know, the frenulum, the frenar band, everything. And for the last um, five or six years, they've been doing, uh, you know, the scientific work in the lab. Um, the first hurdle for them to tackle was to decellularize cadaver foreskins, ca- cadaveric tissue. Uh, so they will take uh, an intact in, uh, foreskin from a, from a deceased man decellularize it completely. And they've done this, they've, they've published their findings. Um, they've 100% decellularized cadaveric tissue uh, of, the, of the human male foreskin. And so what they're left with is, and, and the, I'll say the way that they do that is they usually use some kind of solution like sodium lauryl sulfate, like what's in a lot of our shampoos that we shouldn't be using mm-hmm. um, to strip it of its DNA. And um, and then they will implant it on uh, the, the, the male member. Um, they first had to use um, rats and sheep. They're now on the sheep part, phase two of animal trials. They which put will a last human to... foreskin on the sheep? So people get very triggered by this, especially the vegans, but, but they don't attach the whole foreskin to the back of a rat. What they do is they take a tiny bit of skin and they, you can see pictures on, their, on foragen.org um, they, they put two little patches of skin, tiny patches of skin on the back of a rat to see if it would, if the biocompatibility was good. If the, if 
if it would reject it or not ultimately. And it didn't. I mean, the decellularized tissue did not, it, it, it integrated properly. And now they're using sheep to see if the bio, if, if, the, if the mechanics and the, the vascularization, everything works as it should. And they have to do this. They wouldn't yeah. do this if they didn't have to bureaucratically. They're closer to humans than rats. They're so I would good. presume, I would presume that's the case. I'm not exactly sure. I think it's just because there are probably reasons like that, but it's also because they're larger. And so I yeah. think in this one, they will actually be attaching the entire foreskin, um, which people think is, is grotesque, but they have to do it to tackle this issue. And the sheep what isn't going to know any sheep different. What part of the are they attaching it to? I think to the back of the sheep. They, of course, will excise it after the fact and yeah. that the, the animals are, are treated humanely as, po- as humanely as possible. And um, they're testing to see if the vascularization is is so basically like the, the minutia of of the integration of the implantation onto the the skin of the the sheep um and this next this next phase of their their studies is the crux of it for them i mean if they fail here they have serious problems um you know the, the words that ayala vincenzo the founder said on a video which you can find on foragen's youtube channel it's useless to hide this is everything for them uh if it doesn't vascularize properly as we aforementioned, you know, that the, bringing the heat to, to all the tissue, the blood is going to allow it to heal properly and implant correctly. Um, but that's ultimately what it comes down to. They've already decellularized the, the tissues. Now they are trying to implant them. And eventually once 3D bioprinting um, capabilities catch up, because right now it's in its infancy, uh, they will be able to print your own tissues with, with 100% of its DNA, that extracellular matrix that's left over that I forgot to mention from the cadaveric tissue, what you're left with is like a, le- a white, like void of cells tissue. It's, 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 a, it's networks of collagen and other proteins, um, the kind of fibrous tissue that will, that still have chemical signals built in for your cells to repopulate it once it's attached. Cool. Um, and that's ultimately the crux of it. That's ultimately the crux of what they're trying to do. And of course, it's a, it's a more complete solution than what we're trying to do with this ancient stretching technique. Totally. That's so exciting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Knock on wood that it all, it all works out. You'd think, I, I always think they would like choose pigs because pigs are even closer to <laughs> Yeah, pigs. Yeah, you would think. I'm not sure why they, they landed on sheep, but you know, they, they disclose what they need to and not much more. You know, that's right. kind of what they do. And, yeah. and uh, you know, this is something for all, for all the vegans and animal act, rights activists out there, you know, in a way we're sacrificing the comfort of a few a few animals, uh, you know, that we can count on our hands, how many they're using for hundreds of millions of men who've been sexually genitally mutilated. Um, you know, everything in life is about a sacrifice and, you know, of course those animals can't consent, but the way that our governments are set up, they want us to, to test on on animals instead of humans first. And I'm sure that there are, I know for a fact, there are humans that would sign up for these trials before they've already signed up in droves for Forgen's human clinical trials. They would rather be there than have that sheep be there. So yeah. it's, it's, not a, it's, not a, um, it's not a failure on Forgen's part. It's a failure on the government's part for forcing us to, to test on animals. So take your yeah. grievance up with them. Exactly. They're working in this, within the strictures that the dominator system has promulgated. Precisely. So, yeah. Well, thank you, Anthony, so much for being on the show and for, for all your wisdom. And uh, yeah, I, I, ever since I met you, I just want to give you a big hug. You're, you're such a sweet man and you're so kind. Thank and, you. And, uh, you know, the world needs more people like you speaking in a very eloquent way. And 
I admire your ability to talk about these issues in a very pragmatic way, passionate way and pragmatic way, because it is very triggering to be, you know, genitally traumatized and raped and disfigured and then and then actually speak out about it and to, and to realize what happened and to to not let it crush you and li literally just keep moving forward and, and helping other men to heal from this. So thank you. You are most welcome. Yeah, it, it takes a certain level of, uh, of courage for sure. Um, I don't want to be prideful about that. I think it's sheer dumb luck that I was willing to speak on it, um, especially to show my trauma. I mean, anybody that's, that's um, adept or, or, or educated in and experienced with healing trauma will see, will watch this back and see probably for most of it, you know, visibly on my face and in my tone of voice, the trauma that I hold and, you know, fuck it. Somebody has to talk about it. So, so here I am. Yeah. Thank you for doing that and showing up because absolutely, you know, I think of books like power versus force or even like the teachings of Abraham Hicks and, you know, just live as if, and, you know, don't push against unwanted, you know, but I think you sometimes do have to take a stand and, and you do have to fight for center sometimes, and you do have to speak up. And it, it is a dance between yin and yang and effort and surrender, as we say in yoga. And so, you know, I disagree that you just have to passively just, oh, it'll all work itself out. Like, no, I even look at the Canadian truckers, you know, because of them, a lot of our provinces up here are letting go of COVID restrictions. It's, uh, I mean, even in Christ, I mean, you know, the meek shall inherit the earth, right? And, um, and uh, the way that Jordan Peterson would interpret that is it's like, it's like having a a blade but keeping it sheathed like what, what joe rogan said about it's better to be uh, a warrior in a garden than to be a gardener in a war there are times to to take arms and, and fight back and and be assertive be respectful mm -hmm. try to be as empathetic and compassionate as possible but be assertive protect yourself protect others and and uh you know fight for the protection of infant boys and, and anywhere injustice like this is perpetuated Amen. Amen. I have nothing against, you know, if, if somebody wants to do a body mod when they're an adult, that's fine. And I yeah, think you, you would agree precisely. too. We're on the same, we're not saying like never ever circumstance. If somebody wants to disfigure themselves in any way, they can go ahead, but it has to be an adult consenting to the procedure. Yes. Um, that's the crux of this issue. I think for both me and Anthony is like uh, any body modification done on an unconsenting human is actually uh unethical and it's a violation of human rights and it's a, a violation of of the right to bodily integrity and it's downright satanic frankly <laughs> it, no. it, re it really is it really is you know it's it's what we were harping on about the com combining the um well it's really it's like a it's a humiliation ritual like the fact that you know you see family members filming it and then putting it on on youtube and you know it's like and then you talk to like adults who are like yeah they they totally did this to me like you can see that it is a, a humiliation ritual it's satanic um it's a, it's a it's a culty it, going back to that nexium cult branding the vaginas it's no it's worse than that and and it's and it's allowed and people are just letting it happen like my poor my poor family member who had to sit through that you know circumcision the poor baby who had to be you know mutilated in front of his uh family while they're like laughing and drinking like while the baby's like screaming in pain like wake up come on guys <laughs> wait right. wake up. <laughs> stop, right and stop it's doing that <laughs> yeah exactly exactly 
Couldn't agree more. So thank you so much for having me on. Well, I, I do appreciate it. And, and I hope I added value to somebody out there who sees this and uh, be you a, a parent, a future parent or, or someone who was directly affected by this. And, you know, like I mentioned, uh, you know, I'm at handmade foreskin on most accounts. Um, and if you reach out to me, I will absolutely, if you're of age, 18 years or older, I will, I will help you get started with healing physically from this and, and recommend resources for, for healing psychologically. Awesome. I'll include all your links uh, in, the, awesome. in the bio below and hopefully you can get awesome. your TikTok account back. But if not, we'll just, you can get onto other. I don't have a lot of hope for that. Yeah. That's too bad. It's, you know, the dominator system doesn't want people knowing this stuff, but nope. either nope. way it's going, it's going to trickle out there and, and we're reaching a, a tipping point where enough men have done enough, you know, breath work and plant medicines and detox that they're awake to the fact, Oh, Hey, actually I was mutilated. This is not cool. We're not, you know, the buck stops here. The chain of pain stops here. This is not going to continue into the future. We're, we're being the warriors that we're meant to be. So thank you. It's, it's funny you mentioned plant medicines because I, I don't, I think if it weren't for a particular plant medicine, and maybe we can do a future podcast on this, my experience on it, I wouldn't have been, had the courage to see circumcision as it is when it reared its ugly head in my awareness when oh, I discovered that video. I mean, okay. there's no, almost no way. There's almost Can no I way. Ask which so. plant medicine it was? It was, uh, it was mushrooms. It was mushrooms. Cool. Yeah, I yeah. think mushrooms, they look like a penis. They help me connect to my penis. They help me connect to my... They actually help me to relate to other men a lot more easily. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's a... Uh, but, but I will say that the, the dose I took was heroic. And I, don't, I think if it weren't for that, if I had just dabbled in it, I still might not have made that change. Um, wow. So it's, uh, I don't say heroic, again, to build up pride. It's, it's just, that's what it's referred to as the, the dose level that I took. It was a, it was a massive fucking dose. Wow. Um, so maybe we can talk about that another time, but yeah, hopefully to. I didn't, hopefully I didn't just uh, uh, completely destroy people's trust in what I said before this, <laughs> you know, because oh. I, I mentioned uh, using plant medicines, but you know, probably your base is going to understand that, that you know, oh, mushrooms yeah. are nothing to most of my friends in my circles like most of the men have done okay. or still do they're either lead mushroom ceremonies or ayahuasca right. or right. or um but mostly mushrooms like most of the guys in my men's group do mushroom ceremonies regularly as they I should to, yeah as they should i have to be careful because i'm so sensitive i take high doses of like reishi chaga cordyceps lines main turkey tail those types of things uh agaricon things like that mm. but if i do too much um I just have to be careful because I find it can really um, take me out of my body. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I just have to be mindful, but I think it's like really a really helpful tool. Um, and obviously it has to be respected, but it's like the people Absolutely. that I associate with are people who are into mushrooms. And, and even okay. my dad as a psychiatrist, he actually is, is showing me like that even psychiatrists are starting to use mushrooms. Um, my dad isn't specifically, but he was like, they're using ketamine uh, and mm. mushrooms and MDMA to help people heal. Yes. And that last one, and that last one, be very, very careful because that is neurotoxic and it can kill you. There is MDMA. a lethal dose. There is a lethal dose there. <laughs> I will okay. say that. Yeah, true. But, that. Uh, super it's, careful. it's for another podcast. <laughs> I was actually with Sasha in, um, in, in Hollywood. And I was like noticing when we were heading to the summit, like, it's like this segment of the highway is sponsored by ketamine clinics. <laughs> okay. Ooh. 
Yeah. Okay. Wow. It's like the only way that they can promote, I guess, legally is to like sponsor highways. Um, right. But yeah, thanks. Thanks again, Anthony. And absolutely, um, man. It was a pleasure. Let's, let's keep healing as a collective and let's keep shining light on the darkness and, and uh, moving forward. Thanks Amen. Guys. Preach. Satnam. Thanks again to Anthony for being on the show and for sharing your wisdom and all the research that you've done. Uh, to anybody who has been triggered by this episode, I can really recommend uh, checking out the website circumcision.org, which is by a guy named Ronald Goldman. He's got an amazing book uh, that both Anthony and I have read. Uh, it's called Circumcision, The Hidden Trauma. It's got a foreword or a recommendation in it by my teacher, Dr. Christiane Northrup. And yeah, um, who used to do circumcisions then realized just how hor horrible uh, they, they are to do on unconsenting uh, humans. So yeah, check that book out. Check out circumcision.org. Check out Bloodstained Men. And then check out Anthony. He's coming up with a course to help men restore naturally using his hand, uh, hand technique. Also, he's uh, educating people on Forgen and that upcoming uh, stem cell foreskin regrowing technology that will be available in 10 to 15 years. Um, yeah, so check it all out. Also, check all uh, Anthony's social media links. He was just deleted from TikTok, but he has a backup account on there. And uh, he's also starting other other channels such as like Snapchat, YouTube, BitChute, Odyssey, etc. So check out all those links in the show notes and I wish you a beautiful day and much love. Thank you.